a golden god! An equal amount of blueberries in each muffin. To a new world of gods and monsters. <laughs> I don't know who's weirder, you or me. You just put the law in my hands, and I'm gonna break your heart with it. Nobody puts baby in a corner. Whatever you do, don't fall asleep. There is no Everybody and welcome back to Movies for Life. I am one of your co-hosts, Michelle Egan. And I am Brian Kuiper. And it is close to the best holiday of the year, Halloween. <laughs> so we're going to be celebrating today on this episode with some of our favorite children's Halloween movies. Yeah, so these are movies that you know, I, I was new, I gotta admit to Hocus Pocus, but I had the whole kinder trauma effect with my film. I saw it when I was pretty young, so this is always fun to revisit. This one sort of takes me back. And they're kind of, I think they both have the Halloween feel to them. Obviously, Hocus Pocus takes place on Halloween. Yours is not on Halloween, but in October. But they still kind of give you the, the feeling of the holiday and of the season, which... I always love. Yeah, and you know, we're recording these a little early, as we generally do, but I'm definitely feeling the spooky season vibe. I mean, Spirit Halloween is open. Uh, I have gone at least five times with my (laughs) son, who is obsessed with Spirit Halloween. He wants to work there when he grows up, so (laughs) he can look at all... he He probably wants to be the guy that sets up all the animatronics. He'll, like, save for months and months and months to buy animatronics from Spirit Halloween. So we have a bunch of them. So, anyways, it's just a fun time of year. You get kind of that interesting feeling. You're watching scary movies. But it's not just... Mm -hmm. I don't think Halloween movies are exactly the same as scary movies. You can't just... To me, you can't just throw on any old horror movie during Halloween. Yeah. You know, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, for me, that's not a Halloween. Even yeah. even my favorite horror movie ever, Nightmare on Elm Street, I'm not watching that at Halloween. It just doesn't have that that vibe for me. So yeah, you know, I'm pulling out you know the old Roger Corman Poe movies, you know, with Vincent Price. Maybe throwing on I don't know Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein. That's a good one for Halloween season. That's fun. Or of course you know Trick or Treat or Trick Always. or Treat. I still haven't seen that one. Yeah, I <laughs> I saw it recently for the first time and. It's entertaining. I had a good time with it. I liked it. <laughs> it's it's not a great movie by any stretch, but it's a lot of fun, I thought. So yeah. one of my new favorites was uh the one from just a few years ago, Tales of Halloween. That's become in regular rotation now for me around Halloween or on Halloween usually is what I like to watch. Trick or treat and ta- Tales of Halloween because they they both have that 
that vibe, that feeling that I love, and that just kind of gives me the warm, yeah. the warm fuzzies for Halloween. And I'm a basic bitch. So I love autumn as my favorite <laughs> time of year. You know. Well, I guess I'm a basic bitch too because I've always That's loved nothing wrong with that. I've yeah. always loved autumn. <laughs> Around here, okay, when I was in college, I think the moment I really, I always liked the fall season, but Mm -hmm. I remember when I was in college, um, up here in the Pacific Northwest, there is summer and the rainy season, and that's about it. But there are a few days, usually, uh, in early October, where the leaves are really starting to fall, and you get a really, really cold spell. So everything is very crisp and you can feel the crunching of the leaves under your feet. And it just, everything about that feels like autumn. And my first year of college, there were trees that sort of lined the pathways. These were all leaf bearing trees. And so they we were all falling and the whole pathway is just covered with these leaves and that crunch and that crispness in the air. It's just a, kind of magical. I love that. Yeah. And I love that both of these movies, we should introduce what movies. Yeah. We're, we're talking about <laughs> i know i already kind of gave yours away i'm sorry about that but uh-huh. um, uh, not that we don't already know because we said it in the last episode so if you listen to oh, our yeah. child's play episode you know what movies we're talking about anyway i like to pretend that maybe people forgot or I, hey, kind of, just introduce your movie okay boy. just introduce my movie okay so <laughs> like you said this is an october movie uh, that actually leads right up to halloween though it doesn't actually reference the holiday which really interesting and Mm -hmm. that is from 1983 jack clayton's version of ray bradbury's something wicked this way comes released by disney i've got a disney one too i know so we could (laughs) maybe it's disney halloween is is our theme this month disney live action halloween yeah because mine is the Immortal classic, 1993's Hocus Pocus. Ten years apart, uh, both terrific sort of seminal seasonal movies mm-hmm. that are great for kids, but also have I mean, maybe more something wicked, have some really creepy stuff. In it. Yeah, for sure. Let's just get right into something wicked. Sounds good to me. Um, now, I love just the opening of this movie, that train light and the music and the credits. You know, everything about it is gives you that sense of something wicked coming. Wicked you know? is coming, yeah. Yeah, um, <laughs> and, you know, the way that the titles come up, you know, this sort of looks like it's inked in blood is, is pretty cool. So this was directed by Jack Clayton, who also uh, directed what... I think is another great sort of subgenre that I think is perfect for the Halloween season, and that is the ghost movie. And he kind of made what is, for me, maybe the greatest one of them all. And that is, I know some people would say something else, but for me, maybe the most influential and just a terrific movie, The Innocence from 1961. Yeah. It's a great one. So I didn't even realize that I was watching another of his films when I put this one in yesterday. This was also a couple other things. Uh, It was released through the Bryna Corporation, or Bryna Company, I should say, which is Kirk Douglas's uh, production company. And it was produced by one of his sons, uh, Peter Douglas. Uh, Now, the screenplay was written by Ray Bradbury based on his novel. You really get the feeling of that, I think. If you're familiar with Ray Bradbury's work, especially sort of his nostalgic childhood work that he's done, you know, Dandelion Wine, uh, The Halloween Tree, things like that, this really has very much that same kind of feel of childhood captured uh, in that moment in time in, in the 30s, I think, is when this takes place. Yeah, I was going to ask. I yeah. wasn't really sure when this takes place. 
from the phones and the cars, I was thinking, yeah, 30s, yeah, early 30s. Yeah. So there's it has that um, that sensibility to it. I love the music by James Horner at the beginning. It has sort of a Danny Elfman feel before Danny Elfman was doing film scores, you know? <laughs> it's so eerie and cool. Then we have um, just a little bit of narration setting up this town and the world building and this opening sequences are, I don't know, I love, I really enjoy <laughs> that. I mean, it's it gives me that warm blanket feeling. I love seeing this kind of stuff in movies. Like, this is a small town, like mm-hmm. I always whenever i see this kind of thing in movies it's like i always wished i had lived in a town like that you know where everything is on main street and you can you can walk anywhere in the town and even the kids know all the adults names and they're friends with all of them you know and they can kids can run off on their own and have adventures yes. and there's like I, I i sort of had that you know when i was a kid like we could you know go off and do stuff but it, you know, it was kind of it's always different it's like that small town mentality that I never really got, and I love seeing that in movies. So do I. I mean, and whether worlds like this even really entirely exist, who knows? But I mean, there definitely is that feeling of nostalgia that you can connect with, even if you didn't have the experience yourself. Yeah, exactly. In a way, it it kind of has a little bit of that Christmas story feeling, except in the fall, uh, with a spooky story attached to it rather than a Christmas mm-hmm. story. And the one thing that I think is kind of missed opportunity at the beginning of this movie is not having Ray Bradbury be the narrator because he has a great narration voice. If you've ever seen, uh, yeah, if you've ever seen the Halloween tree cartoon, um, which I highly recommend if you haven't seen it, that narration is done by Bradbury and it is no one reads his own prose like Ray Bradbury. I think that's the one thing where, where it's like, oh, man, I wish, I just wish that voice was there at the beginning of this movie. But who is it? It's um, it's Will, isn't it? Yeah, it's Will. As an, old, as an older a, Will. Yeah, as a grown-up. Uh-huh. So we meet Will Holloway, who was born one minute before midnight on October 30th. No, he was born after. No. He's younger. No, Jim Nightshade was, was, was born Oh, you're, oh, they flipped it in the movie. They flipped it in the movie. Jim's older. Or, yeah. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, because in the book, Will says, I was born one minute before midnight, October 30th. Jim was born one minute after midnight, which makes it October 31st, which it would make sense for Jim to be born on Halloween, wouldn't it? Because he's supposed to be sort of the dark reflection of Will. Yeah, his yeah. name is Nightshade. <laughs> his name's Nightshade, yeah. But they, they flipped that in the movie, which is interesting. Because because yeah. Jim said, you will always be... What does he say? Will, says, wish... some, will says something like, I won't always be younger than you. It's like, yeah. actually, yeah, you will. But <laughs> You will. I won't always be younger than you. Which is, you know, a little bit of a foreshadowing of the possibility of Jim on the carousel. What he does, yeah, yeah. later on. Yeah. So I think that's a that's an interesting tidbit there. So, like I said, the world building of this, it takes its time to meet all the people and set up this town as sort of this idyllic little spot that this evil thing invades. Mm -hmm. Uh, So you have um, Jason Robards as Charles Holloway. Jason Robards in this movie. God, I loved him so much. Yeah, it's interesting because I found sort of parallels between his character here and his character of Earl Partridge in Magnolia, talking about regret and mm-hmm. oh, totally. <laughs> all yeah. of those elements are just are here too. I, I found that uh, really fascinating. 
then we have uh, Tom Fury, uh, who's a lightning rod salesman, who's uh, <laughs> one of the sort of a tangential character, but really important thematically, you know, to it all. Then, you know, Ed, the bartender who has lost an arm and a leg, but he was once a star football player. Um, mm -hmm. You have their teacher who was once the most beautiful woman in town, which seems crazy to them. And, yeah. You know, and Will has such a mean line about her later on about that. <laughs> yeah. Miss Foley. Yeah. Um, is her name. Some things I find interesting is you know, just every adult in this movie is so tired and spent and worn out. And they're always trying to relive their glory days and looking to the past, mm -hmm. um, which is, you know, I mean, that's really what the movie's about. Yes. You know, those are the things that this carnival that comes to town, uh, Mr. Dark's Carnival, preys upon is discontent wishing you were something else or had something else or were who you used to be in jim's case wanting to be older i mean and again you know th that whole idea of regret you know what i've lost to the past that can't be changed that's tough that's tough that's to deal tough. with and it's something that obviously i think brave ray bradbury in writing the novel and the screenplay was probably struggling with because uh, i think most people do you know where you get to be middle-aged especially once you hit a certain age yeah, yeah. you get to be middle-aged and you see what is past and what is ahead and you start to think more deeply about those things and yeah uh, it's not always like it maybe you don't have as much time in front of you as you used to so you you look back at all that time that was wasted yeah. and all those things that you didn't do oh yeah that's that can be really tough really tough Ooh. yeah i mean as a 43 year old i mean i'm sort of in the middle of that storm you know right now <laughs> i mean that is uh, it's just sort of the natural cycle of life right you know where sure. um people in their 40s it seems i mean obviously it's called the midlife crisis but i get that I get it. I feel that. Yeah. And I love the way that it's kind of that the whole thing is set up in kind of a different way with Jason Robards character with the, him being such an older father. Yes. Like, because I think he's where... supposed to be in his 60s, I believe. I believe so. Yeah. But you can just feel the um, the longing and the regret from him. You know, in the beginning of the movie, there's constantly going on about how he can't be as good a father to Will as he wants to be because he's older. He can't. Fathers should be able to, like, play football or catch or something, like he says with his, his boys. And he can't, you know, climb up the trellis, you know, right. into the house. And, you know, the, those little moments, you can just feel that the the longing and obviously the the story that he's got about something that happened when will was younger mm -hmm. yeah he's got a lot of regret but will still loves him obviously and it's maybe not they're not as close as either one one of them want to be because of the age difference yeah and that's that's sad <laughs> but i think will has more admiration for his father yes. than than charles even yeah. knows you know charles doesn't think that he's admired by his son even though yeah. he really very much is. Because that's a positive of him mm -hmm. being older is that he has a lot more to teach Will. Yeah. Then just the basics about like how to yeah then just the basics about like how to throw a football or something like he has more wisdom to pass on to Will than a younger father might anyway so that's kind of a positive that I yeah like I don't think he realizes that Will actually does see in him and respects in him yeah so I just loved their relationship it's the, it's the probably so my favorite part of the mm -hmm. movie too 
and the book. I mean, it's beautifully rendered uh, in both. And the re- I'm going to probably bring up the book a lot because okay. I just recently read it. Uh, I read it aloud to my son. I remembered the book being more different from the movie than it actually is. They actually follow the basic plot pretty closely, but what makes them feel so different is the way the book is written is a style that's very surreal. It's sort of oddly fragmented. It's pieces. It's images. It's flashes. Um, The movie is very surreal, too. Yeah. Especially towards the end. (laughs) it, It definitely is, but I mean, but the way certain things are written are just like fragments of sentences, fragments of ideas that sort of pull together into this beautiful mosaic kind of image that lets you fill in a lot of the gaps. It's very interesting to read. I don't highly recommend reading it aloud to an 11-year-old. <laughs> you know, I, I did, and I'm glad I, I got a lot out of it, for sure. <laughs> because something about reading a book aloud, I mean, you really take a lot in when you do that. And it's I mean, it's not my recommendation. But it, I thought for sure that would be. <laughs> it, it kind of is because, you know, I'm going to mention it here as something that is well worth reading. So I, I love, you know, just sort of the encroaching of the carnival, too. You know, mm-hmm. this dark thing, this train. I hear Jim hearing the music. I mean, in the book, it's the calliope sound, yeah, the sound of the calliope. It drawing nearer to them and those people that have the visions of the woman in like the yes, a block of ice block or of something ice. yeah is that and what it is when that and that turns out to be the dust witch played yeah. by pam greer who is pam greer she is i totally forgot she was in this and i'm so excited to see her and in in the book um she's described as the most beautiful woman in the world and well, fuck the, yeah that's pam greer the way she appears in this movie <laughs> hell yeah that was perfect casting because she is just so alluring mm-hmm. everything about her is just like is entrancing <laughs> and she's so good she's <laughs> perfect since she's a witch yeah yeah i i just love it and then you know when charles holloway sees it's just some some of the things are just sort of weird you know because he he sees the woman in the block of ice and sees her eyes open and he picks up the flyer and then he looks over and he sees the man in the top hat you know who we know from later in the movie is mr dark just kind of weirdly throwing these flyers around yeah something about that image is is so cool <laughs> you know, the, him just walking down the street of this empty street that was bustling earlier in the day and mm-hmm. just seeing these flyers just sort of flop to the ground around him. I, I think that is, <laughs> I just love that. And then the carnival comes to town in the middle of the night. And, you know, the approaching train is very much like the storm, you know, because we heard from the beginning, you know, the Tom Fury, the lightning rod salesman saying there's a storm coming. And that's an important mm-hmm. thing, you know, that this lightning rod is attached to Jim's house, right? Um, yeah, because Jim buys one and he puts yeah. one on top of his house, yeah. And he just gives it to him for, you know, just a, hardly anything, you know, just a crumpled mm-hmm. up dollar and a couple of coins that he found in a box, you know. There's there's something symbolic and mysterious about almost everything in this movie. I mean, I can't claim to understand it entirely because there's yeah. a lot of it that <laughs> is just symbol. And if you don't understand the symbol, though, that's okay. It doesn't matter that much. But it gives you time to sort of let it seep in and you can ponder it over a little bit. And I like that about it. Yeah. You know, they're just some of these weird images, you know, like uh, Pam Greer petting that tarantula. Ah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah. 
there's a scene here where it's late. Will and Jim have come home from seeing the carnival arrive. And it just sort of sets up on its own. It's just sort of there. Yeah. It's like the train arrives and then like it's suddenly like all set up and ready to go. But it's yeah. a, like a much darker carnival yes. than it looks the next day when they actually go. When they actually the see daytime. it during the day. Yeah, it's very mm-hmm. different. But Charles Holloway also was apparently disturbed in the night. And so he gets up, he goes back to the library. He come, When he comes home, he and Will sort of have that conversation on the stairs. Mm-hmm. It's a really nice little scene. He's talking about 3 a.m., the mm-hmm. soul's midnight. Uh, and this is actually the quote from the book. And this is, this is actually one of my favorite passages from the book. I'll just read a little bit of it. And it says, men in middle age, they know that hour well. Oh, God, midnight's not bad. You wake up and go back to sleep. One or two's not bad. You toss, but sleep again. Five or six in the morning, there's hope, for dawn's just under the horizon. But three now, Christ, 3 a.m., doctors say the body's at low tide. The soul is out. The blood moves slow. You're the nearest to dead you'll ever be, save dying. Sleep is a patch of death, but three in the morn, full, wide-eyed staring, is living death. You dream with your eyes open. God, if you had strength to rouse up, You'd slaughter your half-dreams with buckshot, but no, you lie pinned to a deep well-bottom that's burned dry. The moon rolls by to look at you down there with its idiot face. It's a long way back to sunset, a far way on to dawn. So you summon all the fool things of your life, the stupid, lovely things done with people known so very well, who are now so very dead. And wasn't it true? Had he read it somewhere, more people in hospitals die at 3 a.m. than any other time? Stop, he cried silently. Isn't that amazing? (laughs) I mean, just like... (laughs) I was nodding through a lot of that. I was like, yeah. (laughs) I mean, that, that, I mean, if that just gives you a taste of wanting... That puts it perfectly. Yeah, if if that gives you a taste of wanting to read the book, uh, I I (laughs) definitely recommend reading the book. So that's that sort of mosaic text that I'm talking about with... Mm -hmm with Bradbury as well. God, all that's so true, though. <laughs> it, it is, and it's the theme. He kind of nailed that. Yeah, and it nails the theme of the movie, mm-hmm. that longing, you know, those dead people, those half-dreams, and mm-hmm. everything is kind of there in that little passage. But that scene is nice, that scene on the staircase, because you can tell that Charles just wants to say something to his son, but just doesn't yeah. know how to say it. How relatable is that? <laughs> I understand that myself, personally. So then they're back the next day at the carnival, and it's just a plain ordinary carnival. Or is it? Or is it? Well, it's funny because you have all of these characters that we've met earlier in the movie, the adult characters, right? Um, The kids seem generally unaffected at this point, right? But the adults that are there, you know, like you have Ed... Uh, with his one arm and one leg, he is able to do one of those hammer bell things, you know, the strength yeah. test things. And he wins a he wins a free admission to the Hall of Mirrors or the Mirror Maze, right? Mm-hmm. He goes and looks himself in the mirror and he sees his arm and his leg restored. I mean, <laughs> and he can and he um, can hear. I think isn't that scene too? He can kind of like hear the cheering from like a football game, probably. Yeah. And then Miss Foley just kind of walks out in a daze. This no. This is where uh, <laughs> this is where uh, Will has that mean line about Miss Foley. Oh, what, I what forgot is... what it was exactly. Oh. Um, oh, 
it must be a shock um, staring in all those mirrors, especially if you have a face like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's it. <laughs> it's, like, it's like, hey, wow, that's harsh. <laughs> Kids sometimes just say the darndest things, believe me. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> and you don't really get the sense um, now, like with all the stuff that's happening with the adults, but that the the power, I guess, that the carnival has over them is almost sort of like a monkey's paw thing. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. I think you especially get that with yeah. Miss Foley. Yeah. Oh gosh, definitely. Mm. Well, I mean, Where, all like, of them. It, really... it kind of preys on what they what they desire the most. You know, what they want the most, and it gives it to them, but with consequences. Yeah, like the barber, he gets his fortune read by the by the dust witch, and says, you know, women, you know, you yes. can you can have them. And so he goes and watches the exotic dancers in, in the tent. And I, I love, it's so funny because Jim's watching them through the little mm-hmm. hole in the tent. And he's like, ah, whatever. You know, it's it's not <laughs> not that big of a deal. But all the men that are in there are just like entranced by this yeah. whole thing. And the barber is like being, he's like shirtless and like being surrounded yeah, by all the surrounded dancers. And it's like, you don't know if it's real or if it's his, yeah. some sort of imagination. He ends up as the bearded lady. Somehow. He ends up as the bearded lady. Yeah. Which I find really interesting. Then one of the other characters ends up like as the cigar store Indian yeah. that the wooden, mm-hmm. you know, chief wooden head kind of thing from uh, creep show too. If you seen that yeah. <laughs> um, mrs foley well this is a later scene obviously she yeah. gets her biggest wish but she ends up blind yeah it subverts the idea uh the desire yeah and i wonder so is the i'm still trying to figure out like what the carnival thing is. so if it, it feeds off of their their desires their their nightmares in a way and it makes them a part of the carnival yeah it's almost like it's it captures their soul yeah and say is that what they're after is they're after the souls yeah i think it's something like that it maybe isn't something quite so trite as that but it's something like that i almost got a sense that they were kind of like um the true knot (laughs) that's i wrote that exact same note down i wrote that down that's the feeling i was getting from them when he's when um mr dark is actually talking about it the scene of the library I went, uh-huh. oh, yeah. they're just like the true That's knot. That's the true knot. <laughs> yeah, exactly. that, where they travel from one town to the next seeking uh-huh. the essence of these people. It's an essence. It's more than just a soul. It's something, yeah. it's like it's something ev- different. The Everything that makes them them is just drained from them and gives them power. Mm-hmm. Um it's it's hard to explain. It's not something that is easily explained. I think that's why Bradbury doesn't try. Yeah, I kind of like it. Um, it lets you fill in the blanks a bit, and I, I really enjoy that. Now, then we uh, have Mr. Cougar, who's sort of like this big, huge, brawny guy who's sort of... It's funny because, you know, you see during the carnival sequence, it's like Mr. Dark, Mr. Cougar, and the Dust Witch are everywhere they are running every single thing that's there the dust witch is on the carousel i'm sorry not the carousel but the uh the ferris wheel with Mm -hmm. the uh the guy that wants to be rich i think the the cigar store Um, and then uh cougar is at the strength test but he's also at another event and uh dark is just sort of around it's a cool effect yeah you know i i think it's really interesting 
and well done. Um, and then we're, we, we see a couple of things. We see the tattoo, Dark's, Dark's arm. He's the illustrated. By the way, Jonathan Price. Yeah. Love. It took me a second to recognize him as Mr. Dark. Yeah, he, he, he looks quite a bit different now, mm-hmm. doesn't he? But yeah, the illustrated man thing um, is, is something that Bradbury had done before. You know, it, it's, it's different than a tattooed man. The illustrations actually like come to life. Mm-hmm. On on the skin of the, of the illustrated man, and one of his short story collections is called the Illustrated Man, and is built around this frame story of this man with all these tattoos, but they actually are like living tattoos. Uh, so cool. so it's a really interesting and cool surreal image uh, that he carried over into this. And I, I later in the movie, you know, you see the power of the of the illustrations on his body, which is pretty nifty. And we're introduced to the carousel because we see Cougar get on the carousel. The carousel starts moving backwards and Mr. Cougar gets younger and younger and younger until he is the same age as Will and Jim, essentially unrecognizable as this little redheaded boy. And he runs off, you know, you've got work to do. It's late. You have work to do. He goes to Miss Foley's house and claims to be her nephew, Robert. Because she had said something before how she was expecting her her nephew. It was that. Mm-hmm. I wonder if that was real or if that was something that they sort of planted in her mind. Planted in her mind so that it could be Cougar. Yeah, because he can't, he's kind of like the little recruit, I guess, to uh, to get new people into the carnival in their dark and sinister ways. Yes, <laughs> draw them into the true knot. Yes. yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm excited to talk about Dr. Sleep at some point, I know, too, right? I gotta say. <laughs> okay, so then we have another great scene between Will and Charles outside on the porch swing. Mm-hmm. And this is where we find out Charles's greatest regret. There was a time when Will was younger that he fell into a river and got sort of swept away by it. But his father, Charles' father, never taught him how to swim, so he couldn't jump in and save his son. And yeah. someone else across the river jumped in without even taking off his boots and saved his life just that inability to be the father again i think is what his regret boils down to i mean that's a that's a big thing it is not being able to save your kid's life i mean you understand that yeah definitely i think there's a subtextual sense of with age comes yes impotence there is you know so the fact that he wasn't able to save his son's life in this vital moment was a moment of impotence for him uh which or that he might have been thinking you know i I can't swim i can't save him but there might have just been a little bit of fear of actually jumping in and trying to save him and drowning himself yeah and drowning himself sure whereas this other father is actually the one who ended up saving will which is actually jim's dad yeah it's like not around anymore some other man is a more worthy father than i am Mm -hmm. ouch you know that's i mean that that is a powerful and painful idea i think for a lot of fathers i think have felt that way at some point that maybe I'm less fit of a parent to my own child than someone else. Mm -hmm. That's a deep realization as well as a painful one. I think it's not something that I think is spoken often, you know, (laughs) it's kind of like a little bit like King in the shining 
essentially saying that through the character of Jack Torrance, sometimes fathers have feelings of wanting to kill their own children. (laughs) That is dark stuff. I mean, we wouldn't actually do it, but to say the thought never crosses your mind in a moment of rage is dishonest, I think, for for most parents. There, I said it. Think of me me what you will. I'm not a parent. I don't know, but I've definitely heard that, you know, like joking from parents sure. it's like you love them but sometimes you're just like ah. you mean people joke say i want to sell my own children right you want, to, you want to buy them you can take these home with you too but sometimes yeah maybe it's kind of true yeah and it's that's it's, that's a lot i understand that that's a, that's why i don't really want to be a parent that's a <laughs> lot of i just i've never really had the desire for one thing and just like that's a lot of responsibility that's a lot of taking time away from yourself for somebody else which is a beautiful thing yes but it's a hard thing to do yeah not um, to be selfish sometimes it is it is and i think the idea of pouring yourself into another human being and coming up short like like is what being indicated here i think is it's really getting to the heart of some very deep, troubling, but I think widely felt things. Sure. Now there's a, a line at the end of this whole thing where Will says to him, Dad, don't talk death. Someone will hear you. Mm-hmm. He just kind of stops. Because he knows about the carnival. He knows that something is going on. Now that he's seen this carousel and what it's capable of and what Dark and Cougar are really up to, he doesn't understand it, I don't think, but he sees something of it. And that's got to be something that kind of scares Will, too, because in, in the beginning, his, Charles is, is, he talks a lot about, like, his regrets and his fear that he's that he's older and that he's going to die and leave Will, probably. You know, is what he's thinking. And, like, yeah. Will can see that. And it's like, you don't want your parent to talk about that. No. <laughs> you don't want to think about your parents' death. No, no. It, it's, especially when you're that young. My yes. goodness. I think I had a friend who whose dad was that old when he was mm-hmm. born. And so he was in high school with me and I asked him, so how old's your dad? And he said, 80. Wow. And I went, what? Wow. He's like, yeah, he's 80. And knowing for a fact that, you know, I'm in my mid forties. My dad is still, you know, he's in his seventies. I mean, that's, he's probably, probably still got, you know, a fair amount of time, you know, honestly, in this day and age. But I mean, you never know, of course, but, but to know that when you're in high school, wow. that your parent is probably not going to be around that much longer. You're just con- yeah, constantly thinking about how yeah. much time do you have left? Yeah. Wow. Cause I mean, that's, my, that's my grandpa, my grandpa was 90 when he passed away and my dad was almost 70. I mean, that's <laughs> when, when his dad passed away. Right? Uh-huh. So you think about the lifespan now, and I mean, it's it's just different. I mean, so the idea of thinking about at that age, because was he supposed to be ten years old? Okay, yeah, I got like ten or eleven. Yeah, from it. yeah, somewhere in that vicinity to be thinking about the death of your father at that age, I think it's that's be way a too that's way too soon. Yeah, uh, that's heartbreaking. It really is. It really is. And this is the this next scene though with Miss Foley, where she looks in the mirror and she turns young. It's for at first it's just like this. Oh, I've regained. It's so glorious. And then all of a sudden it's like I can't see. What's wrong with my well, eyes? Oh, yeah. While she's looking in the mirror, it's like it's so 
it was so sad to me, like seeing her look in the mirror and she can, she's seeing like little glimpses of it just at first before she like fully transforms. And uh-huh. she's just standing there in the mirror going like, please, please. Yes, please. Yeah. Like that's, that's all she was. And it's, that's and so then sad. she it's like, gets it and she, can't, and then she gets it. She and can't immediately see it. She can't see. Yeah. Yeah. That's oh, why it's, it's, the, it's the monkey's paw thing. It really is. You get what you want, but hey, now you can't even see yourself and really enjoy it, you know? Yeah, and that's all she wanted was to be able to see herself young. I don't think she even cared about feeling young, uh, you know? You <laughs> it was just a second. <laughs> it, was just, it was just having that beauty again mm-hmm. to be desired again, I, I suppose. Yeah, and then we find out, you know, Jim... He wants to ride the carousel to get older. Mm-hmm. You know, he's already kind of been put under the spell of this carnival, of this idea. Escaping his sort of... He doesn't have a particularly wonderful home life. Uh, she, it doesn't seem to be the case. His father has run off. <laughs> he just left, you know, yeah. to travel. Very, very awkward scene when he walks in on his mom dancing with another man. Yeah. It's a Disney movie, so uh, didn't walk in on anything else, <laughs> right? But you don't really get the sense that no, 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 no. I don't think that was in the book either. I was just gonna tease. No, I just mean you don't really get the sense that that's something that happens a lot, no. but that you know there is still that longing for the father figure that's not there anymore, and yeah, but it's still hard to maybe watch your your mom try to get that with another man and not your actual father. Like, cause that's who you really want. You don't want someone to take his place. You want your actual father back, which makes sense. Yeah. And you know, that's his, again, you know, that's his age. I mean, just wanting so badly your parents to be together, no matter yes. what, you know, mm-hmm. even if it's not good for them. And, and that is completely understandable. I mean, that's yeah. something that I can't personally relate to. My parents are still married and have only been married to each other, um, which feels like a more and more of a rarity. But um, <laughs> my parents, my parents are weird, actually, because they were married for a long time. They got divorced and then they got re- remarried to each other. Oh, is that right? Wow, that's really <laughs> fascinating. When yeah. I was in high school. <laughs> wow. <laughs> that's kind of that's kind of beautiful, though, too. Yeah. <laughs> um, so anyway, there's then there, we, this sort of surrealistic idea of you know torturing Tom Fury, the lightning rod salesman in the electric chair, uh, trying to get <laughs> trying to, you know when the storm is coming. Why do they need to know so bad when it's well, coming? Well, like, he says lightning exposes our darkness and rain washes away our dust. Okay, so they need they would need to leave they, before they will, the storm mm-hmm. comes. They okay. need to leave before the storm comes because it would. It will reveal that. Okay, I was, that's what some things I wasn't really getting. Okay, I got it now. That's why like I thought the they needed. I thought they strikes. needed the power of the the storm or something. And then no, I was like, well, no, that's they're not actually really right. they're no. actually trying to avoid it <laughs> yeah. because um, you know, for example, and this is coming up pretty soon because okay, actually we might as well just go right into it because the yellow dust, the dust witch Pam Greer, turns into sort of this yellow mist and yeah. pursues the boys home. And we have that whole, now this is, this is actually, I think this is the creepiest scene in the movie is the dust witch sort of settles on the house and all of a sudden these spiders, I mean, they're, (laughs) they're, they're, they're they're tarantulas because you can train tarantulas or deal with tarantulas at least. Uh, Tarantulas are just fill the room. I mean, they start cracking in through the ceiling. They're on the floor. They're coming in through the windows or 
doors everywhere. And I mean, this is, to me, I hate spiders. Arachnophobia is, for me, the most terrifying movie I can possibly watch. We have to talk about that movie. (laughs) Yeah, I know. I know. But that movie gives me such heebie-jeebies when I watch it. And so this scene is, is like that. Uh, and you, you even texted me and said that really got to me. Yeah. <laughs> I'm usually okay with uh-huh. spider stuff. I mean, erect, like I was telling you, like I'm fine with arachnophobia because I've seen it so much, yeah. but, um, this was, I totally, I had seen this movie only once before and somehow maybe I just like blocked it out. It's tarantulas, I think is yeah. the thing that they're, they're big and hairy <laughs> and they move kind of slow. <laughs> Well, but there and, were all these shots of them, like, actually on the kids. Like, oh, there's one part where it's on, like, the back of his neck. Yeah. And I, I was just, I was just like, feeling everything that was happening. I was like, ah, get out. And, and then they show one of them, like, <laughs> stepping on one of them in bare feet. Yes. And grabbing out on the door handle, and it's in his yes. hand. And then, you know, Will's sitting on the bed, and the bed sheets or the blankets are moving. Like, and he pulls it, it back, it, and it's covered. It. It's just covered. The bed is just covered with tarantulas. Oh man! Um, see, the thing is, I had I'd seen this again a couple of years ago, but before that, I hadn't seen it in probably thirty-five years, and I didn't remember that scene at all. Um, and I was watching this in the midst of watching things like Arachnophobia and Eight-Legged Freaks because, and Kingdom of the Spiders, because I was I was kind of on I was kind of on a kick to try and get over my arachnophobia right. movies a little bit. Okay, and this this one I didn't even know had a spider scene in it. And then I was just like, oh, God, <laughs> another one. <laughs> what was funny is, you know, from the only memories I had when I was a kid seeing this uh, on video was the carousel and the closing scene on the carousel. Those were the only things I remembered. And so the spider sequence, again, caught me by surprise yeah. when I first watched it again about yeah, two years ago, maybe uh, again for the first time in a long time, at least. Yeah. So yes, but, it's very effective. <laughs> but then the lightning hits the lightning rod on on Jim's house because and okay, they, and they both interesting thing wake is up. That, yeah, another interesting thing is that they're so close together in in age. Obviously, they're like two minutes apart. They also live next door to each other. Yeah. So there's like that connection and will um, before that scene. Like they just, I think they could just they could see the the dust witch or something, and uh-huh. they could just feel her approaching. And so Will sneaks over into Jim's room. That's when the spiders yeah. come. But then, and when, yeah, after yeah, the they both wake strikes, up. They wake yeah. up in their own rooms. Yeah, which is sort of like that wonderful blending of reality that we talked about so much in in Elm Street, you know, (laughs) dream logic. And what's funny, you know, that scene, that spider scene is not in the book. That's something Bradbury created for the movie. And I think it's it's so strong. It's and the lightning strike kind of goes makes you go, oh, so that's what the whole lightning rod thing is all about. You know, <laughs> whereas uh-huh. in the book, it feels more mysterious. It feels like it kind of disappears. That's um, what makes it the vision or the hallucination or whatever the dust witch is causing. That's what makes it stop. Yeah, it's really powerful and visually uh, interesting, too. So was she doing that? I'm still trying to understand like their their thing. I, I think I think she was doing that. I mean, spiders, obviously, is a big fear for a lot of people like maybe she was creating that hallucination to because they say charles says something like they feed off of nightmares Mm -hmm. so that's probably what that was he says that late in the movie that's right you know they Mm -hmm. feed they feed off your fear which is very freddy krueger too Mm -hmm. you know i mean most or pennywise 
the clown. I mean, there's so many of these kinds of ideas that Bradbury is using here that are um, used in a lot of these supernatural kinds of pieces, you know, and obviously someone like Stephen King is a huge fan of Bradbury. Sure. Yeah. And you can tell with some of the thematic stuff, their writing is miles apart. Some of those thematic pieces are sort of beautifully compatible. Anyway, the next day, it's sort of funny because they show him in church in the morning. You know, the family, the Wills family, at least in church in the morning, they're kind of singing a hymn. And then outside the carnival is doing this parade, you know, with sort of this Dixieland style music, you know, it's almost like the sacred and the profane, you know, mm-hmm. it's obviously you know, sort of an old fashioned kind of dichotomy, but, but it's dichotomy, but it's effective. You know what it means. I mean, I don't personally think that jazz is necessarily profane and hymns sacred, <laughs> but that was certainly the feeling in the 30s, that jazz music was something that was subversive, which it was, you know, oh, at the time. I didn't realize that. That's a cool thing. I didn't even notice. Yeah. And it's, uh, it's really, I mean, that's another great moment where you just see dark walking, looking around, eyes just peeled, looking around mm-hmm. everywhere, followed by this carnival, and he's walking with that cane, you know. <laughs> it, is, it is... And you can see the, the townspeople that have been taken over by them or walking yeah. in the parade, too. You have um, Miss Foley kind of stumbling around, mm-hmm. feeling her way around. You have the barber as the bearded lady, the shop owner as Native American. American, the, yeah. The wooden... The wooden Excuse the terminology, but the wooden Indian, you know. Yeah, that's thing, out, that, that was outside of his shop. Thing, yeah. um, and then uh, you have Ed, the bartender, as a little boy, which is mm-hmm. Charles sees that and kind of freaks out because he throws the football to him. He doesn't say anything, too. He's got like a very like, kind of haunted look on his face, which is always creepy when it's from a, a small child. Yeah, creepy kids, you know. This is a great scene, though, between Charles and Mr. Dark. Oh, it's one of I love it. it. This one in the library scene are yes. just phenomenal when they re- when rope yeah when robards and price go after each other it's just like it's electrifying i mean excuse the pun i mean i know that there's <laughs> a lot of electricity in this movie sure. one of my favorite lines though is from charles yeah. in the library scene after this not between him and dark but between him and the kids yeah yeah okay but yeah so the this scene is on where the street between, yeah the boys uh, are hiding under the under the grates because the they know that dark is after them yeah yeah and this is this is great, and this is in the book too. And it's almost you can picture the movie when you read this sequence in the book. I mean, this is where he pulls, where Dark shows him on his palms, and on one palm is Will, and on the other is Jim. And um, Charles says, "Oh yeah, that's you know," and he names a couple of other names. But then they show Dark squeezing his hand, and the blood coming out. In the book, it's actually much more clear that it's actually hurting Will when he does that. Oh, really? Yeah, because the blood in the movie kind of drops on his head. Yeah. But uh, in the book, it's actually, like, hurting him. See, that's much more sinister and creepy. I like that. I like that. (laughs) It is. I'm not sure they could have done that in a Disney movie. Is sure. thing. I think that's probably why it's not happening. I love Charles in this scene too because he's because he's start he's starting to get that something is not 
quite right and he's he's playing with mr dark and he's not doing a very good job because mr dark already knows he knows he's a step ahead of him but he's still he's still he's still trying he's trying he's doing he's using his intellect which is a good thing he's using his intellect to save his to at least try to save his child for the moment yes that that's one of the strengths he has as an as an older father that you sort of get the his knowledge his and wisdom. as a man who reads as a man who reads yeah as we'll yeah, find out when they go they go to the library yeah that's another important thing because in this scene i love this because um dark says to him he starts trying to tempt him. Mm-hmm. he's saying don't you just hate living in that library all the time oh yeah you know studying other men's dreams and he (laughs) says to him sometimes a man can learn more from other men's dreams than he can from his own yeah for me there are strong like biblical spiritual elements of this that you know bradbury draws on a lot and by the time we get to the end there's you know i mean there's like whirlwind that (laughs) that pulls the it's like old testament kind of stuff you know i mean there's sort of direct good versus evil christ versus the devil kind of stuff happening the dust which is destroyed by a lightning bolt i mean it's it's, uh it's there's lots of things there are elements like that is sort of in this movie as well that i find interesting just as a person of faith or at least raised with that and it's fascinating you know and i don't think it shoves it down anyone's throat but i think it uses that mythic language to compellingly tell the story there's definitely like mythical imagery yeah especially towards the end that kind of gives you that feeling too sure yeah then we get to my favorite part of the movie which is for me it's the library scene my favorite thing ever though is um this is when Charles and the boys are, you know, they're looking at the book. They're looking at his yes. father's history of it. And the thing, I forgot what movie we kind of brought this up in, a thing about not believing children. They finally say it in this line when Will's like, wait a minute, you believe us? But we're not grownups. And Charles says, that's why I believe you. Nice. Yeah. That, that is, is my great. favorite thing. Because it's like, yes, exactly. We talked a lot about not believing children in a nightmare on elm street yes okay that's right uh that's one of the spots anyway because well in that movie they know they're telling the truth Mm -hmm. (laughs) and they're still not believing them so i i do love charles that he is a man of wisdom to know that these kids are telling the truth and that maybe children children have that imagination and still have that sense of wonderment that maybe they can see things that grown-ups can't yes and that's what i think that's what charles is recognizing in this and you know i see that in a lot of bradbury's work is sort of this reverence toward children mm-hmm. that children see what grown-ups forgot how to see mm-hmm. is what bradbury usually tried to capture You know, he usually, he tried to tap into that part of himself that could still see it. And I think that's something that goes through a lot of his work. I was just Uh, really happy with that line because that comes up so much in movies of of, of grownups not believing children. It's like, no, that's exactly why you should believe them. Yeah. Finally, he actually said it. It subverts the the normal way that goes in a lot of ways, too. (laughs) Um, But this is where, you know, the boys hide. And he's sitting at the table and the doors fling open. And they say, it's dark. And he says, by the pricking of my thumbs, something wicked this way comes. comes. Of course, from Macbeth. Uh And this showdown between the two of them 
is amazing. I mean, as as the characters, as the actors, just facing each other, the elements of the editing, the little flourishes of special effects that are added in, animation of the lightning bolt through the window, you know, as he's ripping out the pages. The pages that are kind of like glowing, glowing. They glow. They don't exactly start on fire. They, They yeah. But this is the tempting, you know, this is, he kind of explains it all, what they do and they destroy people by granting their dearest wishes. They call themselves the autumn people, mm-hmm. you know, which is, you know, the true not. <laughs> Pretty much. <It's> great. <laughs> right. Um, you know, the temptations of youth, the temptations of age. And I love the whole thing. It's like, I can make you young again, which we know is what Charles what? wants wanting. deeply. Sure. He desires that so much. And he just starts. How about 30? 30 is such a great age. And this, and then he rips it. Well, it's like going, going, gone. And he rips the page out. 31. 31's still good. And then he keeps ripping. 35, you can still climb the stairs without gasping for breath. No, you can't. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Um, if you're out of shape like me. <laughs> yeah. 36, 37. 40, 40, you can still have a family even. And just going on, and it just you can just see the pain on Charles's face. And it is so powerhouse. Oh, man, I, I just love that sequence. I do too. I, it really is incredibly. Because there's a big struggle there. Because yeah. he's, he's offering this um, in exchange for his child. Yeah. And he can see, he knows that Dark can do it. He's just yeah. saw Ed as a child. So there's that that longing that you can see. Yeah. But, but uh, you know he's never going to do it because it's his kid. It's Will. It's Will. Yeah. But you can, there is real struggle, though. There but there is struggle. You can see it, yeah. But he's just, he won't look at him. And I, I, I that, oh gosh, it's so good. Mm-hmm. I loved that scene. That sequence, I mean, that's just about as perfect as movies like this can get, I think. It's just, it's scary and it's powerful and it, it has all those mythic elements, you know, the, the white-haired old man facing off against the black-hatted dark figure. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's, it's light versus dark, you know. Sure. I mean, it's good versus evil. Uh, the temptation is real. It's a real temptation. It's not yeah. some sort of esoteric thing. It really is something that can be related to. It's so powerful. And then after that, that mirror. But, oh, he, but again, it's going. kind of yeah. like it would be a monkey's paw thing because uh-huh. if he gives him this, he wants he wants his youth so that he can be a better father to Will. But, you know, if he accepts it, he's not going to have Will. He's not going to have Will. And that's funny because one of the ages that he says, you're still young enough to start a family. So that would imply yeah. that you would lose the life that you have now in exchange for whatever I give you. You could start again. But you would sacrifice your own kid for yourself, which yeah. he would not do. I don't know. No, think. He, wouldn't, he wouldn't do it. Of course he, not. No, he, he loves Will too deeply, even though he is afraid that his son is disappointed in him. And, you know, the seek it just kind of keeps going on from there, you know, because Dark captures the boys and takes them to the carnival. Charles pursues. And that whole thing in the mirror maze, you know, trying to find Will in the mirror maze. Uh, and then he sees 
all that all that mist the imagery is so good mm-hmm. he's bumping into himself and, and he sees will in the river again so and he hears dark's voice you know the regret this is your prison your regret mm-hmm. you can go on from here and never regret again you know <laughs> oh <laughs> hello earl partridge um, right? <laughs> <laughs> you regret whatever you want exactly use it use it and that's what he does here mm-hmm. that's what he does he smashes the mirror well is and- this when when the witch kind of gets him close to death is that in the mirror scene? I forget now. Oh, okay. Okay, so a couple of When he's things. like, let him feel death, you know, he let him oh, feel that, that three right. o'clock hour. Oh, it was in the library where he smashes his hand. Yeah. 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 And he's got the band, bloody bandage on, on his hand while he's in the mirror maze. And he hears the voice of Mr. Dark while he's in the mirror maze, seeing, witnessing, you know, this greatest regret of his life, your failure as a father and as a man. Just cut deeper, why don't you? Oh, man. It's like, you already broke my freaking hand, dude. Right. You know? <laughs> but then, you know, there's But what this... stops their power? The lightning. And love. And love, of course. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the power of love. I know, that, which sounds cheesy, but the way it's displayed in this movie is really potent. Because, mm-hmm. you know, we hear, we sort of scoff at that idea. Oh, the power of love. You know, there's so, if there's something very real and palpable to that yeah it's something that's the opposite of what they feed on so it can it can drive them away yeah and you know i think the love in this movie it's not a feeling it's a commitment it's a deep you know connection it's something that is harder to describe than the way most movies define love it's something far more powerful than that i think it's It's not just the the love that a father has for a son or a son has for his father it's yeah it does feel like it's something more than that yeah and you know I, I again you know from my faith background i mean it's that sort of god offered love <laughs> sacrificial love okay i don't i, mean, I, I don't i don't know Sorry. no that's fine that's fine i'm just don't don't read into that too much if you don't want to um that's up to you but i do love this whole situation where you know you have uh, the dust witch in the, is in the mirrors too, and the lightning rod salesman holding the lightning rod gets struck, and he's freed from the from the electric chair, and he's able. But yeah, to... because when Will is saying "I love you" to Dad, like trying to get at him mm-hmm. through the mirrors, he's saying "I love you." That's what kind of like makes them all startle and Everything. like, <laughs> and it draw it essentially draws the light. Mm-hmm. You know, it's the it's the lightning rod that can eradicate this evil Ew, i just got deep there sorry <laughs> ouch my head hurts um so so uh tom but the tom fury in. just takes tom the lightning fury. rod and friggin skewers the dust witch skewers the dust witch who just kind of blows up yeah, yeah. <laughs> which is nice. pretty cool that's pretty cool that's pretty cool um but you know and then the, smashes the mirror and grabs will Mr. Dark has uh, taken Jim onto the, the carousel. Carousel. Or he's, take, he's taking him towards the carousel. They get him just in yeah. time. Yeah, they pull him off. Well, Charles pulls him off. He, like, tackles mm-hmm. him. Jim is sort of stunned on the ground. And Will starts crying, and Charles says, Don't do that. They love that. They love your fear. They love your sadness. Yeah. It's time to laugh. Which, you know, I don't know how I entirely feel about that. But, you know, I know, it's, I know. It, it's a little, it, that's a little, that's, that's the anyway. one thing that I think is a little bit uncomplicated. It should be 
more complex. I mean, than you know, the rest of the movie is. Mm-hmm. There's there's more of a. It's it's sort of like, <laughs> pardon me for this one, but the sadness and joy marvel in Inside Out at the end of Inside Out, where the the emotions are mixed together, and and it's something more powerful that made me cry when I saw I that. I didn't see Inside Out. You know, we're gonna have to do an animated film. We're gonna have to do a Pixar movie. True. Okay, because movies that made me cry, Inside Out was one of them. Okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> So there, that that I think would probably for me be a little bit more satisfying at the end, but but you know it's a, that's a quibble. That's not. Sure. I understand what what's going on. I mean, it's it's fighting the darkness with with, with light and love with light. Sure. Yeah. yeah, it's very much what that is. And oh my gosh, this at image. the same time, yeah, we're getting dark, trapped on the carousel, trapped on the carousel by the lightning, lightning strike. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and he is. This is this is creepier than uh, Indiana Jones, <laughs> the Temple of Doom thing. <laughs> yeah, it's um, him. Just I mean, it's it's all, and you know, you can you know that it's animatronic. I mean, if you are if you know are familiar with it, but I mean, the way it's done, I mean, he just is this aging that he goes through, mm-hmm. and this is the image that I remembered from when I was a kid when he turns into. As he t- essentially turns into a skeleton, you know, and his bones flopping off the yeah. off the carousel, and then the the little person coming and picking him up and carrying him That's off. That's so creepy. I don't know why. That's it's so <clears throat> so gross. And then we have you know literally you know like the whirlwind shows up, sucks this whole um, carnival into its vortex, and it just like all gets lifted up and destroyed and carried off to heaven or hell or who knows yeah what. like what was that supposed to be yeah that's what i don't get but is it the hand of some sort of providence some sort of force of good or god or whatever uh you prefer to call it i don't know it's just it's an ending <laughs> <laughs> i love that no, uh, no that's I mean, <laughs> it's, it's it's more than that but i mean it's it really is something like that. It is It is the destruction of evil by the power of, of the light, of the storm. The storm is not a negative thing in this situation, and I find that interesting, too. Because so. the storm is usually depicted in you know mythology or you know biblical imagery even as danger, as fear, as something, something destructive in a negative sense. But in this case, Yet the storm rain. is... Yeah, rain is cleansing. Rain is cleansing, yeah. But so here it's, the, it's both at the same time. It has both, yeah. Um, but here, the you know, the storm, you know, is, is very much used as a power for, for good. Of good. And love this ending where, you know, Charles pulls out his harmonica and they just sort of walk off through the town as the sun he's, is rising. Yeah, he's got a little youthful uh, skip in his step again, yeah. <laughs> walking like with the boys. He's found his youth without the fountain of youth. You know, so to speak. For my father, being old was all right now. (laughs) That's the way it ends. And I love that. (laughs) And to have to go through all that to realize that, you know, just being contented with who you are, where you are, what you have is really a beautiful thing. And it is a life-giving thing. I think is a beautiful message to anybody. (laughs) You know, and that there's that's one thing that you can't change, and nobody should have the power to change that. Right. You know, 
going back in time or, you know, making yourself younger. Like that's not any kind of power that anybody should have. So just be happy with what you've got to learn what you can from each other with the time that you have together, even though that sounds kind of dark too. I know. But, but every stage of life is valuable. Yeah. As a society, I think what the movie is saying, we, we value sort of this short little window of life it seems like between your 20s and your, and your 30s, 30s. that's the only like. time that you're that's, that's the your, only it's your prime that's the only time you're really important and, and young yeah. and beautiful or yeah seem an object of desire or envy for other people when that's still a time when you're you're young and you don't know as you're much you haven't had stuff most out. people most people haven't had a big life experiences haven't had those life changing things mm-hmm. like having a family family or really do anything out on their own so right. yeah but that's the that is the time period that is most revered when it, it's really later on that should be i would say yeah or even you know just the beautiful time of children of being a child being yeah. a child i don't even feel like we really let our children be children anymore i was watching this movie thinking wow they're running off in the middle of the night they're getting in trouble they're getting in danger my God, I wish that we did that still with our kids sometimes. You know, I don't obviously want their soul to be sucked out by an evil carnival barker or whatever he is. But letting kids face a little bit of danger, I don't think is such a horrible thing. Yeah. The world is a scary place sometimes, but it's also a wonderful place for a, ch- for a child. Yeah, that kind of that sense of adventure like we're kind of in the the age where like before a lot of the internet and you know all that kind of stuff like i remember the thing was was you would come home and you would go out on your bikes and you wouldn't come back until it was dark yeah you do kind of miss kids being able to to do that i really do too and you know adventure can be scary but it can also adventure can be scary but it can also be a a learning thing it definitely can be Anyway, really glad to revisit this movie anytime I can. And I like it more every time I see it. I remember when I first saw this a couple of years ago, I, I wasn't too taken with it for some reason. Yeah. There was As something kid, I, I, I didn't quite get, but um, definitely focusing more. What I like about the connection between these two movies is that the core... Uh, the core thing to focus on really is this familial relationship yes. and that's that's what i got a lot more from from this viewing and what i, I appreciated more was the relationship between will and charles and Jason robards is like perfect to play it i love i love seeing him so great <laughs> so great so this is a great choice great choice okay anyway let's uh let's uh move on huh yeah let's move on to hocus pocus now gosh where do i even start with hocus pocus um Okay, for one thing, I want to talk about nostalgia with this movie, because this is something that has come up with Hocus Pocus. I actually, there's several times, like, before we were recording, where I was going to text you and be like, I don't really want to cover Hocus Pocus, because it's become so popular. It's such a cultural phenomenon now. Okay. But when I think about, you know, the point of our show, like, what did you, what do you love? What do you really connect with? I mean, it's Hocus Pocus. I can't help it, because I was around the right age when this came out when it first started becoming popular Mm -hmm. um this movie is kind of the definition of what i was talking about on our cult movies episode with anthony about what a cult movie is like that's hocus pocus it's it was not successful you know commercially or financially you know with with critics right when it was released and it became this huge thing 
in later years as it, you know, because it's it's celebrating a holiday. So it would play on, on Disney and ABC Family every year. And that's where it found its audience was on home oh. video. And that's where it's it's made all of its money. And now uh, the last few years, you know, you can't go into Spirit Halloween, you know, like we were talking about before. They there's a whole, so there's a whole Hocus Pocus section. Mm-hmm. But it's, it's not just nostalgia for me. And like, you know, people looking back and saying, you know, like, actually, that's not a very good movie. I don't care. I never care about that stuff. Like, what is your thoughts on like people saying that like nostalgia is a bad thing? I don't see it as a bad thing when it makes you happy. Nostalgia is used as a dirty word a lot. Yes. And I don't think that's really entirely fair because we all see movies and hear music, books, whatever we consume through a lens of what we liked at a certain time of life. Yes. And the things that resonate with us from childhood are always going to connect with us in a certain way, no matter what. I mean, yes, Ghostbusters is a perfect movie, uh, but (laughs) but, uh, it is more perfect. It's more it's more perfect to me because I grew up with it because it Mm -hmm. was something I desired to see when I was very young and couldn't. And when I did, I, I remember seeing that. I think nostalgia at its worst is when it's used as a lever to kind of make something be popular again, you know? Yeah, yeah. Like, I obviously, okay, so we're recording this before the, using Ghostbusters as another example, Mm -hmm. before the Ghostbusters Afterlife movie has come out. So I don't really have any way of knowing the quality of that film. But it seems to be really going after the nostalgia. And frankly, I think it's the nostalgia of the old school fans that killed the 2016 version. And so I think it can be used in that way in a negative sense. But but at the same time, we are human and we see things through our lens. I mean... And people, music is a great example. People tend to listen to the same kind of music that they got into in college or, or high school. Yep, they tend to listen to that kind of music their whole life, whatever it was. Then they hear the new stuff on the radio and they say, that stuff is not music. Right. <laughs> you know? Right. <laughs> I mean, we talked about this when we talked about School of Rock. Mm-hmm. But I mean, that is very much a truism. Whatever you connected with at a certain age is probably what you're going to stick with for a long period of time. So, in all honesty, a cert- there's a certain era of movie that I think I connect with more than others. Some of the newest movies that ever that a lot of people get really excited over, I find myself going to them and going, they're okay. Because it's a different kind of feeling that you get from them than sure. the movies that you watched as a kid or as a teenager or, you know, in your sort of formative early 20s years, you know that tastes are so built during that time. Now, for in the case of Hocus Pocus, I was a little old for this movie. I, when it, when came it first out, came out? Yeah, when it came out, um, I did not see it. I would have been, what it was, 93? Yeah. So I would have been 15, which is a little on the old side for this movie. I mean, it's not really the target it's going for, I think. I, I think it's getting, also more geared toward young women, too. Yeah, I think so. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's a I was getting at that point, I was much more interested in, you know, Halloween and Nightmare on Elm Street. So I wanted my I wanted my scary with a little bit of edge. 
yeah. you know, <laughs> at that time. So Hocus Pocus just didn't particularly appeal to me at the time. So I honestly, this was the first time I'd seen it all the way through. I had to confess that uh, I tried watching it before. We watched it as a family movie night, and I fell asleep. And I thought, ah. that wasn't... And, and, and honestly, having only seen the beginning and the end, I thought, ah, that wasn't that great. Yeah, that was my initial reaction. Stuff in but the I middle. missed all the fun stuff in the middle. Because there's a lot of really fun yeah. stuff in the second act of this movie. And that's what I missed. I essentially saw the first act and the third act and missed the entire second, <laughs> uh, which is really where I think the charm of this movie is. You know, yeah. that doesn't mean the beginning and the end aren't good. It's just right. that there's there with without that middle section, I don't think they have um, the same kind of yeah. You know, it just doesn't. It's it's not a complete thing, <laughs> obviously. <laughs> yeah, I didn't mean to start the conversation off on something negative about the movie. No. That's just something I have noticed has happened. I mean, especially with something that becomes so popular and that you hear about every year as something that people enjoy watching every year. People are starting to say that like, oh, that movie is actually not that great, and the only reason you like it is nostalgia because you grew up loving it and it's like well what's wrong with that right (laughs) yes i can watch it now and see the more adult things that are that are not at all appropriate for a children's movie but i didn't get that when i was a kid those are the kind of things i actually really liked right that's what you could enjoy a little bit more when you're older (laughs) my god the madonna costume cracked me up um but i think though i do think that for people of a certain age you know a little bit younger than me or people who grew up with it later on video have a reverence for this that i don't entirely understand and never will because i liked the movie very much but i will probably never revere it like some people do you know what i mean by that i mean but like i said with any movie there are plenty of people who watch a nightmare on elm street a movie that i revere clearly who find it to be middling who, who think it is just you know, all the things that we talked about on that episode about how it's actually brilliant, even, and they'll say, oh, those are flaws. Those are screw ups right. of the movie. And it's like, well, maybe you're just not watching it. but we're not here to talk about nightmare on elm street and ghostbusters we've already done those um this movie i I gotta say though i mean as someone not connected with it i really had a good time i i had i thought it was there's a terrific energy to the movie sure there i mean it was the early 90s so certain computer effects are not (laughs) as good then as they are yeah. Um, but, but that's I mean, the kind of thing that kind okay. of adds to charm, the charm of a movie now, yeah. I think. Yeah, I mean, I I was not partic- I'm not particularly a fan of talking animals in movies. <laughs> okay. It, it's, it's, it's just a thing with me. I mean, even when it's just like a voiceover, because <laughs> we watched The Incredible Journey, the original Incredible Journey, where it's just like a narrator and the cat and the dog and, and the two dogs traveling home. Well, there was a remake years later. Oh, that Homeward was like Bound? A, yeah, Homeward Bound okay. is the remake. I love Homeward Bound. <laughs> and I've never seen it because it's like, I don't want to watch a movie with animals that are talking. They don't, their mouths don't move when they talk. I know. It's their just, mouths don't move, which yeah. is good. But for it's me, more if like the they mouth, telepathically talk to each other. They like telepathically <laughs> talk, which for me, at, at the age that that movie came out, I was like, oh, come on. No, you know, but now, but now, for me, animals that talk and their mouths move, that really drives me crazy. Okay. 
So it's just a thing with me. It's just a thing with me. But I actually, with this movie with Banks, I actually found it charming and funny and um, and kind of necessary to the story. Whereas other movies, it's like, that's really, it, you really don't need that animal to actually talk. <laughs> anyway. That's kind of the main thing about this movie now when I watch it. It's not one that you watch over and over again. It is that seasonal tradition. Maybe you kind of watch it over Halloween. And yes, I yeah. do uh, see things in it that it's not that I don't love it as much, but just think, you know, things that you notice when you're older that you didn't notice when you were a kid that kind of makes you go, that's maybe not right for kids. But you, mostly the movie is just fun. And a big thing yeah. for me is when I can tell that the people who are making the movie are having fun with it. Yes. And I yes. love that. And that kind of, that brings up the energy so much more and it, it makes you more energetic and, and having fun watching the movie. Because my God, Bette Midler is having the time yeah. of her fucking life Yeah, and in this movie. It's particularly she's clear huge. with She the is Sanders. huge to this movie. Yeah, it's particularly clear with the Sanders- Sanderson sisters that yeah. those three actresses are having more fun than humans should be allowed to have. They're I mean, having they more are, fun with the kids than the yeah, kids making this movie. They are. And it, it's, it's. I mean, just the way they walk down the street yes. in, in their <laughs> sort of weird trio, their little, the, yeah, and, and you know, Kathy and Kathy and Eugenie with her sort of twisted mouth. Yeah. Uh, little Matches the little twist in her hair. Yeah. And, you know, Sarah Jessica. For some reason, I always thought this was Daryl Hannah. I, I, but it's Sarah Jessica Parker, of course. She's and brilliant in this movie. Brilliant. She's wonderful. And, and you know, that's what I stuck through most of was the Sanderson sister stuff when I first saw it. So, like, the people, I think this has really cool people involved in it that you might not know, like, behind the scenes that also kind of uh-huh. make it special to me. The movies, the additional idea for the movie was, came from producer David Kirshner. Yes. <laughs> whom we know for a child's play. And yes. uh, it has a whole, like, lengthy like production history that it was first mm-hmm. written by Mick Garris who had yeah. like something a little bit darker and mm-hmm. scarier. The kids were all the same age. They were kind of around the same age as Will and Jim almost. I think they were like supposed to be 11 or 12 years old and they went to Amblin and you know, there was, it, things were rewritten so that it was more comedic and that the, the kids were older and it was the main, um, Except for like, so Except were they for, all like for a Birch's age, and she they made some of them older. Yeah, they were all initially the same age. They were all supposed to be twelve, I think, oh, okay. in the movie, and they changed it to where it's like a teenager and his little sister. But it wasn't until so that was all like in the early eighties, I think, when the initial idea came. Yeah, that sounds right. Eighty four, I think, was when the initial idea was brought up, and then it wasn't until um, like ninety two when Bette Midler expressed interest in in being involved with it and that's when it really like took off and they were like okay we got that the middler this is gonna make it huge and honestly like i i give her so much credit for this movie because i love you could hear her talking about the movie now she loves this movie she loves that she was involved in this movie you know yeah she's like i was in the best halloween movie ever i was in hocus pocus and she's she's so proud and like that's a lot of like i said just watching her and like seeing the fun that she was having with this i mean that just it makes it so much more charming and, and lovable to me yeah there's an episode of 
postmortem with Mick Garris, where he is, where he talks through sort of his involvement in mm-hmm. the early stages of it. And I think it's fascinating because, you know, he, he says, you know, a lot of people try and give me credit for this movie. I really didn't have that much to do with it after my first draft. Yeah, it and, like it's um, much different than what he initially thought of. He's very it. humble about it, but he's also very proud to have been involved with mm-hmm. it. And so it's, uh, I mean, Garris just seems like the nicest guy in the world, I gotta <laughs> I <know>. say. <laughs> I mean, I, I hear, I love his I know. show. His podcast is, is really excellent. I love hearing him talk about this movie because he really does care about it and is happy that he was had some yeah. level of involvement in it. But he also gives all the credit in the world to everybody else right. involved in it, you know. But to have your name on a movie like Hocus Pocus, that's, that's, well, yeah, not, I mean, that's not a bad thing. That's great. He's <laughs> listed as a story by credit and yeah. he's first on the screenplay credit, even though his draft was quite different. And he's also co-executive producer, right? Uh, I think so, yeah. Yeah, co-executive producer means you wrote some draft of the, <laughs> of the <laughs> script, is usually what that means. Well, the movie was also directed by uh, a name that I know very well, Kenny Ortega, mm-hmm. who was the choreographer on a little movie called Dirty Dancing. Dirty Dancing, all right. <laughs> Good to so, know. Yeah, I, I, I meant to look up if he had made other things or what else he had been involved wasn't sure so that's a big one for me yes yeah i was like i was like kenny ortega i know that name that's dirty dancing that's right (laughs) so big connection there for me sure i mean and then the cast of this movie is just lovely for (laughs) the the three sanderson sisters obviously we got bet the midler kathy and jimmy and sarah jessica parker again all loving their roles and all taking on these different personalities for each one that really just brings the movie so much more life than it I think it would have had in like a lesser maybe a lesser actor maybe a less committed actor they're so committed to each of their characters when one if you watch Sarah Jessica Parker in the background in any scene she's hilarious it seems like this was a movie that was rehearsed like they found the characters in some sort of process before they turned the cameras on them you know it seems like it (laughs) because that has some of that energy to it of i'm gonna figure out what i can do to try to steal this scene away from bet midler who cannot <laughs> get a steam scene stolen from her no matter how no. hard you try you know and i, I love and kathy Najini too i'm all i'm gonna say her name wrong but she Najimi, Najimi, i believe um she was a consummate scene stealer Mm. I mean, Sister Act. Yes. <laughs> oh, uh, she was just one of those characters that you remember. Mm-hmm. Every scene she was in, I mean, even with Big Star, I mean, Whoopi Goldberg at that time, huge star. And she would steal every scene from her. And you see some of that talent here on display again. It's just she's that, a little more muted in this one. Because yeah, in Sister yeah. Act, she's very loud and like boisterous. Yeah, but she, she's still like, she's like subtly very funny in this. Yeah, yeah. And then for for me, the fact that Kathy Najimy was the voice of Peggy Hill on King of the Hill is just <laughs> kind of mind-boggling. Because yep. it's just something that's so different that you just don't think of her being restrained. 
so dry. You know, and like <laughs> that kind of humor that she has on that yeah. show. And so it's kind of brilliant voice casting, honestly. One thing I was reading from like one of the uh, the negative reviews of Hocus Pocus when it first mm-hmm. came out about Sarah Jessica Parker, um, who I think is is the most brilliant of the three of them. Um, yeah. The way she plays, she's basically playing the, the dumb, ditzy, you know, hot blonde sure. is what she's doing. And the, the <laughs> in the review, they say she's reduced basically to sentient cleavage, which I actually kind of like. <laughs> <laughs> that, may, that is kind of a brilliant criticism in a way. It is. You know, it's, it's very... <laughs> it's clever oh boy there's a little bit of that in that but she's so funny she takes that idea and puts it and does such funny things with it though. yeah just like all of her little moments she's stealing the scene a lot from from bet midler like there's mm-hmm. one scene where um they're oh the fire when the firemen they're watching the firemen leave the house after the- <laughs> boys. and she's like who are they? They're witch hunters. She's just like, boys. And then, <laughs> then, then Bette Midler and Kathleen and Jimmy are having a scene together. And what's Sarah Jessica Par- Parker off doing? She's like, oh, what a pretty spider. Spider. And she's eating a spider. <laughs> and it, she just kills me in all of her, her little moments. Yeah. So when she's, uh, when Bette Midler is trying to explain like what they have to it's do, so they funny. have to. And she's just like, explain what? What? <laughs> she's just like playing the little airhead so perfectly in such a way that's so charming and endearing. I absolutely love her. She's my favorite. She's always been my favorite, I think. But then you have Bette Midler, who is really just her hand motions the way that she carries herself the way that she says her lines she again she's just having a ball and she's really getting into this role and really helping make the movie what it is and make it as charming and as lovable as it is and as rewatchable as it is just like i think watching their interactions is what i love the most even though like the core like i said before you know, like the core story of this movie or the core kind of thing that really kind of t- tugs at your heartstrings is the familiar relationship between um, Max and, um, oh my God, Danny. <laughs> I forgot her name for a second. Which I kind mm-hmm. of relate to a little bit. Max is, you know, they've moved to Salem from California. Max is older. He's probably like 16 or so. And Danny is eight. So that's a big age gap between siblings. And it's, it's again, it's similar kind of thing with uh, from something wicked, you know, where there's such a big age mm-hmm. gap there there's a disconnect even though that they're related you know they can't really relate to each other because they're so different i had that a little bit with my sister um she's five years older than me okay so you know it it doesn't matter you find out later like uh, that that age gap doesn't matter like the older that you get but when you're young when you're like this age it matters a lot like sure you have nothing you have yeah. nothing in common with each other you always feel like you're the annoying little sister like you know wanting to hang out with her and she wants nothing to do with you because you're young she wants to hang out with her older friends so i i kind of got that from from this movie a lot and yeah, i like sure. I, wa- I like watching that relationship develop yeah it's it's really great and then you know there's also you know the familial relationship between binks and mm-hmm his you know sort of ghostly lost sister you know yeah i find that really sweet that actually really kind of tugged it It at the end there i mean it really moved me uh you know that he has waited 300 years for a virgin to light a candle right (laughs) Right. so that 
he could reconnect with with his little sister. I, it's it's a beautiful thing. He has one little line that always gets to me is when um, after they think the witches are dead and uh, Max is just kind of watching Danny play and like seeing seeing her as a kid. Bing says something to him about you know you know take care of her like you don't real you'll not realize how precious she is until you lose her. Which oh, which really kind of gets to me still. Like again, like not just you know that she might die but just that maybe you're missing out on important years of both of your lives by not being as connected as you could be by not having the best relationship that you can right now you know yeah it's moving and it's it's part of what i think connects people to the movie you know that's probably because a lot of people have i mean of course not everybody but i mean siblings are fairly universal kind of thing yeah you know that those familial relationships are strong and powerful and we all have times where we've thought i just want my brother sister or whomever to just leave me alone right you know that's why I think this movie still has the staying power, even if you know people call it, it it's mediocre. There's plot holes. Things don't really make sense. It's not as good a movie this as you remember. That's that's not. I know that's the wrong movie to do this. It's a yeah. Disney movie. It's a kids movie. It doesn't matter if the sisters know things about the modern times that they shouldn't, and that there's lines that don't really make sense for them to yeah. say. I don't care because again. Is- when you, again, when you get older, you can you can see those problems in movies that you loved as a kid, but you find sure. yourself connecting with another part of it that maybe you didn't see when you were a kid. That's why, like, so I'm saying, like, I I loved it just because it was fun when I was a kid, but now I'm feeling the the, the familial connection and the relationships, sure. and that's what I I connect to, and I think that's a good message message for this movie to have. Can can I say something that might piss people off at me okay (laughs) i think that looking for plot holes and plausibility factors and things like that is lazy criticism it's stupid (laughs) i mean for fuck's sake watch suspiria that movie doesn't make any fucking sense okay (laughs) but and there's plenty of that that's completely implausible even within the world of the movie but that's not the point Mm -hmm. you know i mean there's something more going on there that makes it a masterpiece. Okay. And now I'm, I'm not saying for me, Hocus Pocus is not that. I don't no. feel it's a masterpiece. But but there is something there. The, the idea of plot holes in a movie like this is so missing the point. Yes. <laughs> you know? That's kind of my um, feeling too. It's like you're focusing yeah. on the wrong thing. Yeah. And then, you know, people who say, oh, that would never happen. It's like, you know, Hitchcock used to call these people the plausible. <laughs> you know it's like they're so boring is what he would say you know it's like i don't care that a crop duster would not chase after a guy in a cornfield <laughs> i don't care because it's cool that mm-hmm. basically is saying sure. is it interesting then it's in my movie you know uh it's so that that's that's just a tangential example but yeah i just find that kind of 
criticism incredibly dull. It is. It is to me yeah. too. Cause it's like, yeah. again, yeah, you're focusing on the wrong things. That's, that's not, that's what adds to the comedy for me. And that's, yeah. <laughs> it's not the, the main, it's just, it's a Disney movie. It's a kid's movie. It's aimed toward kids. Let it go. Let it go and have fun. There's not just, really... not just, yes, you can have criticism and stuff. Yeah, but of course, I just, of course. I am sitting there watching some of this movie and I'm thinking, well, that was a really weird cut, for example. <laughs> where there's this time where they say something like, hey, maybe mom and dad are still at the party. And then they cut for some reason to showing mom and dad still at the party. And then they show <laughs> the girl in her, that throw a birch in her bed. And it's like... That was weird. <laughs> because like, they've been put under the witch's spell to dance all night so that they can't um, help their kids. <laughs> yeah, it was there. just sort of like, okay, you know, I mean, but yeah, it's, it's just sort of funny stuff like that. I mean, it's it's stuff that makes you kind of go, okay, whatever. You know, you just, you just have fun with it and you keep rolling with it. Yeah, I, I don't really know what I'm trying to say. Like, oh, of course, you want people to be able to have criticisms and opinions about oh, movies. Yeah, that's not what I, I just mean. think that kind of vitriol maybe is directed at the wrong movies. Yeah, yeah, I think so too. And you know, there there are some because uh, I hear I hear that criticism. The movie doesn't make any sense. Okay, did you like it? <laughs> I mean, some I like a lot of movies that don't make any sense. Sure. But another thing that I love about this movie, like I was saying again with something wicked, is the the feeling of the the time period, the time of year. Yes, both these movies do wonderful Ugh. jobs of world building. You know, you know, you kind of know the layout of Salem while you're watching this mm-hmm. movie. Uh, it wasn't I actually filmed in Salem. Yeah. Most of it wasn't. Uh, most of it was filmed in Burbank, but they did film for a couple of weeks all of the daytime scenes i think were filmed actually in salem and in surrounding areas so yeah you totally get again like just that kind of like old timey like small town i would love to have lived (laughs) time like that but it this really gives me the feeling of the holiday you can feel the crisp air and the when you see the leaves falling in the the perfect you know streets and and the fact that it's a town that actually loves halloween and celebrates yes. Halloween. I never really had that, you know. I never had those uh, on Halloween nights. You know, the the street was filled with kids running around and everything. You know, it wasn't really like that where I grew up. And I just, I again, I'm nostalgic for something I did not get to experience. <laughs> like that yeah. would have been awesome. You know, when I was a kid, our, our our the street I lived on was not really a neighborhood. It was just a street. The houses were kind of far apart. Yeah, exactly. It, That's what ish, I had too. You know, I mean, there was no sidewalks. I guess I always. So I, I watched Halloween as like Haddonfield, you know, with these mm-hmm. sidewalks and, you know, all of these houses that are sort of packed there and you could just walk down the sidewalk and trick or treat door to door like that. We couldn't really do that. I mean, the street's yeah. really dark. We I couldn't mean, there's, either. No, yeah. there's no street lights. There's where my where we live now um, is like perfect for trick or treating. It's like this little right. uh, cul-de-sac, you know, series of cul-de-sacs, essentially. And just to do that, I mean, it's a wonderful yeah. feeling. It's so nostalgic. It's so fun. Great feeling. And to see it <laughs> depicted in a movie like this so so well, is mm-hmm. it gives you those feelings. And that's part of the things that's so great about something like this movie. And they actually started filming the movie in Salem in October of, oh, of 92 is when it filmed so they were just at like the perfect time to capture that feeling and that must have been uh, really hard for them to be able to do to get the permits even to do that because salem <laughs> is like taken over by halloween yeah uh at, as i understand I mean, i've never been there but 
I, I've heard that it is a Halloween town. Oh, <laughs> so, I mean, I can imagine. Obviously. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Another thing, love their house so much. That's oh, yeah. uh, Max's room with that one little window tower, the stairs. How cool it's is so, that? How freaking so cool, cool is that? That East Coast, the houses, you know, on the East Coast. Um, Allison's house, too. You know, they kind of are odd at it. They're like, oh, rich people. Look at this house. Yeah, that house <laughs> that Allison lives in. Holy crap. My God. Love it. Big old staircase in the entryway. Yeah. God. And she's dressed like a princess when you see her in that scene, too, you know? <laughs> Yeah, so you can you can see why uh, uh, what's his name? Sorry, Max. Max is so taken with her. You know, it's sort of this halo of <laughs> of this angelic kind of presence. And so it's and it's sweet though. It's not. Yeah. So let's talk not, about the kids. She she makes a she makes a comment about him liking her. <laughs> what, is, what is your gabos? Yeah. It was just so that 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 was so funny. Yeah, so let's talk about the kids. Yeah, sure. really, let's talk about them. So the main three kids are Max, played by Omri Katz from Matinee. Ah, uh, yes, yes, right. A little Thor Bert, who I love, is Danny. And uh, Vanessa Shaw is Allison, the like, cute little girl at school that Max is enamored with. Um, kind of love that scene at the beginning in the, the classroom. He's pretty bold, like going up in front of everybody and giving her his number. And, yeah. But then I love it. The, the next scene is her giving it right back to him <laughs> yeah <laughs> like good move girl i like that <laughs> yeah. so i don't really want to spoil the my recommendation but i kind of have to a little bit um uh, one thing i really like there's a book that was written about hocus pocus that i'll talk about in a recommendation and one thing that i kind of liked that he said is that this is a halloween movie but it's also in a way a christmas movie okay because what max's max's thing is that he feels like he's too cool for halloween you know and that he sort of lost the the magic for halloween that the halloween has sure and okay. that the movie is about him getting that back kind of like a lot of christmas movies play out you a know little like miracle a, on 34th right, street you know a little, what I mean? it's a wonderful life yeah i liked sure, that i see that i liked that uh, analysis of it scrooge <laughs> sure because yeah he's in this town that is so into halloween and yeah. there's this legend of the sanderson sisters that everybody's in and he, that everybody knows about and he just thinks it's all dumb he's too cool for it he's from california he's too yeah. cool for everything right what i find <laughs> funny what i find funny is the scene where he's bullied by ice <laughs> and the other jay guy and ice <laughs> jay and ice okay so here's what i find funny about that they're mocking him for being from california and they are two guys who look like they are more from California than right. anyone else in the movie. <laughs> kind of. <laughs> Especially Jay, you know, he's yeah. got sort of this long blonde hair. And, exactly. He looks and, like a surfer dude. He looks like he's just come in off the beach. Right. And put on a leather jacket. And I just thought that was hilarious. And I love how Ice has his... <laughs> He has ice. You know, I gotta tell the back you, of his head. my name ain't Ernie no more. It's ice. It's ice. <laughs> He's like, this is ice. <laughs> I love that little <laughs> move that he does to show his God. name on the back of his head. The back of his head. <laughs> yeah, and then they steal his shoes and 
that there's a nice callback to that later in the movie. Yeah. You know, where it comes full circle. So there's, um, this movie is for kids, but it, it does have deal with grown up things. There's, it's got a little bit of an edge to it, which is another thing yeah. I, I like about it. I like watching. What about uh, Danny? Danny, it, like I was saying before, like she's the younger sister. She's kind of the maybe annoying younger sister, but she's the whole movie, like she's just wanting a connection with her older brother like they yeah. used to have you know is the thing like maybe when you're it, there's like a period it seems like with older and younger siblings where like when you're young when you're really young you're a lot closer and then you get to yeah. these years where you're blossoming into your own your teenage years you know where you you lose each other in a way because you're both at different times in your life and that's where they are and she just wants that back from him and mm-hmm. and I, I don't know i just i like I said, I, I I love that. I love watching that, and it's even though it's kind of sad, and but it's pulls at your heart when you when you've experienced that, you know, and you've been the younger sibling. <laughs> yeah, the dynamic is really nice, and it's really their story. I mean, the Sanderson yeah, sisters totally. are funny, and it, you know, they're the conflict of the movie. But the movie really is those kids and mm-hmm. that sibling connection yeah it totally is you know and trying to reconnect with that and it's sweet and it's nice and it's i mean it's not too incredibly deep but it is affecting nonetheless I sure think. it totally is uh some other people in this movie gotta talk about one doug jones all right yes doug jones as billy butcherson always loved yes. him yes Billy Butcherson, okay. for one thing, is another hilarious character that uh-huh. I love. What did you think of him? I thought he, I think it's great because I mean it's a sort of a switch on the whole zombie idea, uh-huh. <laughs> right? And I I saw Doug Jones's name in the credits, but then I didn't really think about it, so I I wasn't thinking Doug Jones when he was on screen, mm-hmm. to be honest. That's it. <laughs> uh, but it sure is, isn't it? And first of all, Doug Jones, I mean, one of the greatest like makeup actors yeah there is i mean pan's labyrinth and all the all the stuff with del toro yeah and all the del toro stuff doug jones also a big thing for me um he was in one of the greatest episodes of buffy the vampire slayer yes that's right uh, um the episode hush where he played hush, one of the yeah. creepy gentlemen absolutely and that so. is a terrific episode yes that's one of the most memorable episodes mm-hmm. uh, for me it's that one and once more with of course are probably <laughs> probably my favorites but uh, yeah so doug jones definitely one of the greats um mm-hmm. pan's labyrinth i think what he does in that movie oh then of course is the gill man in in shape of water, shape of water. Yep. as well just his skills as a physical actor he's a contortionist he's also, isn't he yeah but in this one he finally speaks he's so funny <laughs> He's he so brings funny. so much humor to just little yeah. moments that he has. I love when um, he's first woken up. It's kind of funny, too, because they're all in the graveyard. The witches can't set foot on the graveyard. And uh, Max says something like, oh, they can't get us here, right? Like, we're, we're safe. And Bing says, well, they can't. <laughs> yeah. I like the little line. And Danny's like, I don't like the way you said that. Because <laughs> they bring, yeah. they rise Billy Butcherson up from the grave. He has a great moment where um, after they like they see him and they scream and they run away he has a great moment he kind of he kind of looks back and he sees his headstone and he goes Ugh. he can't talk uh, yeah, he can't, he can't like, talk yet because his mouth that. is stitched up but yeah <laughs> he has such funny little moments like that but yeah when he finally speaks it's like one of the best lines <laughs> for yeah. wench yeah trollop <laughs> you yeah. buck tooth mop riding firefly from hell <laughs> <laughs> i love it it's great and i love this sort of 
I mean, I know it's sort of a, I guess, a Disney-fied zombie. Yeah. Uh, He's not scary at all. He's. <laughs> it's not scary. It's funny, and it's it's really well done. I think though, and to have an actor of his caliber in that role, I mean, come on, sure. you can't go wrong. All right. So, one of the best scenes, one of the most memorable scenes from the movie, we got to talk about too, which is when the kids go to find their parents at the town at the Halloween party at the town hall. Yeah. And there's another little scuffle with Billy. That's kind of cute and they're trying when they're trying to find their parents and amongst all these adults that are enjoying a night away from the kids you can tell for once <laughs> yeah, and her, yeah this her, is this the, is the you know in halloween uh I, I was on a episode of pod and pendulum we were talking about halloween 2 and um the whole question comes up of where were all the parents <laughs> on the night that michael myers came home, right they were well, all at a party like this i bet they were yeah. out of yeah well it our theory was that they were at a key party together, <laughs> but <laughs> which uh, I, I liked that. I got I got to give full credit to Jerry Smith and Mike Snoodian for for uh, revealing that one to me. But I love um, that was hilarious. But um, apparently, you know, on this Halloween night in the Disney version of that story, they're at a dance party in a gym. So <laughs> they're at the town hall. Oh, town hall. Sorry, sorry, town hall. Yeah. See, and this um, is another thing that I miss about I don't have experience with Halloween. I've never been to like a fun Halloween party like this where everyone's gone okay. all out and there's a band that's dressed up too. A really great band. I like I love them. I love the main singer. He's great. Yeah. yeah I was kind of obsessed with his skeleton makeup. I was like, yeah. watching. I was like, man, I wonder cool. if I could do that. I wonder if I could do that. Yeah. It's it cool, cool, right? But yeah, the mom um, is dressed yeah. up like Madonna. Madonna. <laughs> With, which was like, you know, the truth or dare era of Madonna. So the she's got the big cone boobs. Cones. Yeah. And the corset on and the long ponytail. It was just, and the, the mic, the head yes, mic. Yes, I love that. That Good whole touch. thing. It's so, it's so funny. And, you know, the dad's sort of a vampire in pajamas. Or yes. Something. <laughs> He's um, dead. Kula. <laughs> Dad Kula. <laughs> anyway. That's nice. what he says. He, he does. I, I, I See, I'm, I watched the movie intently, but I know that there's plenty that I missed, you know, because lots of great stuff. And the Sanderson sisters, of course, you know, in a movie in 1990 with Bette Midler, you got to have her sing. Of course. Yeah. Like, how could you miss out on that opportunity? <laughs> I mean, this was after Beaches. This was... <laughs> The Rose. This was. These were the movies that she was known for. So, she's got to sing. And they actually set up this pretty well. That um, so it's not just her singing randomly. Right. I mean, they are singing randomly. It's a choreographed dance. Like, how the hell did they come up with that? You know, it's another one of those sure. things that you can just like shut up and enjoy it because it's better than her singing. Musical <laughs> sequence. Yeah. For goodness' sake. Yeah. But they set it up to, that the sisters like when they sing, they sort of have the power to like hypnotize people make them do the things they want put a spell on them so naturally (laughs) they sing so they sing to put a spell spell on yeah they sing i put a spell on you to literally put a spell on all the parents in the Mm -hmm. town hall that makes them stay there dancing all night so that their their kids are left alone that they can lure the kids to them and and eat them but suck out their soul suck out their soul the life they suck out the life life from the children so they can live forever hey another another connection to something wicked this yep. way comes <laughs> yeah so there's that sucking of the essence 
I love this performance too, though. There's, it's great. Again, Bette Midler is she's playing Winifred. She's playing to the Raptors. Yeah, and she's yeah. playing Winifred well. Again, I like. I, I always watch like her hand motions in this movie are all like mm-hmm. you know like this. She's very delicate and precise with everything that she does, and yeah. she's yeah. Well, that she's, was the kind of performance she started out doing. I mean, she was doing burlesque, and she actually got her start, I believe, uh, singing in like like gay clubs cool yeah so she she was a drag queen who was actually a woman which you know is how elvira started too sure you know so i mean she just talked about that a little bit recently i saw and i i just find that interesting stuff you know so uh it was this burlesque style of show where everything is very affected i guess is the word (laughs) but uh precise i I thought and so i think she's pulling in some of that kind of thing into a performance like this and it's throughout the whole movie yeah where she's kind of the the three of them are very much like this a stereotypical like witch coven you know Mm -hmm. like it's it's again it's a disney movie have fun with it that's what that's what yeah. kids recognize that's what they know they're um, more colorful than the traditional yeah witch. they're colorful you know, they're, they're funny they yeah. have sibling rivalry moments that i love i love yeah. the, the part where she, she just like grabs their partner's neck and she goes ah! yeah. <laughs> they have cute little moments like that it's nothing like bad or dangerous no. but again like she's really playing to like i'm i'm a witch and i and I, she has this long fingernails and the cost of oh the god yeah. costumes for the three of them another iconic thing like you find those in spirit halloween again every year everyone always wants to be the sanderson yeah. sisters because those costumes last, are amazing last year our rap team which is our special education teachers mm-hmm. they dressed as the sanderson sisters on halloween i love it they had masks so obviously we were all wearing masks at the time and still are um, but they had the buck teeth on them nice. and everything. It was it was just fantastic. I mean, they were like all out costumes too. Nice. I mean, they were they were just they're they're really elaborate. <laughs> they're really elaborate costumes. It was it was so cool. But yeah, the whole scene of her singing that song is just I love it. It's a good scene. And yeah. it's a good song. It's, it's a good uh, rendition of that song. Mm-hmm. Kind of put their own thing on it. And uh, with the intercuts with uh, Billy chasing them around and the, the parents are just like, oh, this is just such a great performance. You know, again, not believing yeah. the kids, not believing that these are, you know, the real witches and that something bad is happening. They're just, they're hypnotized by the yeah. spell. Can I, can I, can I say my favorite scene though? What's your favorite? My favorite scene is when they are out on the street and they're seeing all the trick-or-treaters and thinking all their hobgoblins <laughs> yeah. and then they see Satan. I, Master. That's exactly where I was going next. Okay, <laughs> my other favorite scene. Gary Marshall as the devil, quote unquote. They think he's actually the devil, even mm-hmm. though, of course, he's just a man dressed up as Satan, right? Uh, in sort of the red, <laughs> traditional red devil horns and gloves and But they're like cages. the sparkly, puffy ones. So it's how do so they, funny. Like, how do they it's great, though. Yeah. It's wonderful. And then they go inside and we meet his wife 
wife and it's Penny Marshall and they think it's Medusa. You know, <laughs> exactly. Her. They kind of flinch when she turns and looks at him. I think that's so funny. <laughs> so yeah, that's, yeah, that's exactly that where whole... I was going. That's exactly where I was going next because my God, anytime you can you can see Gary and Penny Marshall making a little cameo like that, they they steal it. <laughs> They're amazing. They play They're off so each other fucking funny. so well. Yes. Yeah, and they probably as kids entertained their families <laughs> by doing little shticks together, I imagine. I can imagine. Uh, sure. But, you know, just these iconic, I guess, comedians <laughs> playing this playing this small it's really brief, but man, is it memorable. It's uh-huh. and it's just I I loved it. that scene just it made me just laugh from beginning to end, <laughs> you know, from, you know, Hate master all the way to sicking the dog dressed as a demon on him. You know, I, it was Winifred goes into the kitchen wonderful. is like a torture chamber. <laughs> she thinks the kitchen yeah. is a torture chamber. Yeah. Kathy and Jimmy watching the commercial on TV. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, Sarah Jessica Parker dancing with him because may I dance with you, master? Uh, okay. <laughs> And then I don't really know where to go after this. <laughs> well, I don't know. I, I I like, you know, the different ways, it, like how the kids sort of innocently conjure them back to life, <laughs> you know, is well done. I love the whole, I like the whole Binks thing in this movie. Yeah. I like how, you know, he is immortal, so he gets hit by a bus, but he still right. <laughs> <laughs> survives and just sort of inflates <laughs> and comes back he run, to he gets life. gets run over by the bus that... Sarah Jessica Parker is driving. Yeah. (laughs) He gets flattened. And yeah, it's another kind of um, familiar connection that Danny develops with Binks that I really like. Yeah. And that's why I think the ending is potent. That's why it's bittersweet. Yeah. Yeah. Because there's a real connection. I mean... And you know, as some, uh, if you have pets, I mean, you get connected right? to your animals. I mean, it's can you imagine if it could talk? <laughs> if it could actually be, and I love that part where they're cuddling, where she just kind of cuddles him. He's like, "Oh, I'm you're going to turn me into one of those contented house cats, aren't you?" It's like, "Yeah, and I'm going to take care of you, and then my children will take care of you, then their children, and mm-hmm. just on and on forever will take care of you." I thought that's really it's such a neat. cute little moment. <laughs> and you know, he sort of snuggles into her and starts purring. Exactly. And yeah. I mean, come on. I mean, as a cat, as a as a black cat owner, I mean that was just like okay, I I get this. I really connect with that. At the end, um, you know, the way the ending works out where, uh, you know, the Sanderson sisters are going to be vanquished. I mean, whether it's in the kiln, which, you know, doesn't turn out to work or which I like that because that's sort of a callback to Hansel and Gretel to throw them in the oven. Yep, I like how, too, they they lure them in there with that that tape of like a French lesson. And then and then Bette Midler Midler has a great moment when they, they come out and she's she's like, I want my book <laughs> she says it in french and again she's just like milking every little scene and i love it yeah yeah the reason why they sort of survive that is a little bit hazy i'm not really sure because all of a sudden the their essence just kind of i sucks back in through the chimney and they're alive again i, I you know the spell brought them back for halloween night and that they'll 
survive until dawn basically i think is kind of the thing that's what i always got from it too like that maybe they were a little bit unkillable until dawn (laughs) unless they were able to you know brew their potion and suck the lives out of the children in salem sure and i didn't know if it was that or if they if it was because they had opened the book and we're trying because they're trying maybe to help. The, yeah, games, maybe the right? book did something like uh, called them yeah. back from the dead, probably too. I don't. I don't. Yeah. Again, I don't. Something, <laughs> something along those lines. I yeah. mean, it's like, yeah, whatever. You know, they come back. <laughs> um, but I do kind of like, you know, how they're trying to help um, Binks mm-hmm. get his human form back. You know, and and then you know they kidnap jay and ice and, and <laughs> there's a whole bunch of things that are kind of going on their moments this, are very funny in this last at the end little too. bit that are kind of fun you know mm-hmm. um but that ending in the graveyard when the sanderson sisters are vanquished essentially by the sunlight and binks just kind of dies you you go oh wow that's i didn't expect that but he comes they show him as sort of a i guess ghostly apparition and you know they're that ending where they're sort of teary and watching him go with his sister his little sister who hasn't so you know i had to wait 300 years for what took you so long well, i had to wait 300 years for a virgin to light a candle that's an interesting thing about the about the movie about Binks's character is that you know for the last 300 years he's guarded the house so that nobody does light the candle and bring the right. witches back when in reality that's exactly what he needs to have happen he needs them to be vanquished completely so that he can come back and, and be with his sister yeah and that so that's kind of a cute little thing well there's the nice i mean <sighs> I call me crazy. I'm I'm sort of a sucker for a I'll sacrifice myself. Exactly. I knew you were gonna say that. I, love <laughs> I knew, thing, I knew, you, know? I knew you were going the self sacrifice. That's where I was gonna go too. Because yeah, before you have that nice moment with with Zachary and Emily, there's a moment with Max and Danny because yes. the whole time you know he's been protecting his his sister because they're after. I guess they need the, the I guess maybe the younger the children they suck the lives out of the more powerful or, or potent that is because they're after Danny the whole time and they have just one little vial of their potion left that they're trying to give to Danny and Max drinks it himself like he's yeah it's that it's their relationship him realizing what he can do for for danny like that he as the older sibling this is his job is to protect her and he yeah he makes the ultimate sacrifice (laughs) in a a way in a disney way again (laughs) yeah yeah well i mean it's it's a beautiful moment it's that whole giving your life up for someone else i mean obviously that goes back to my sort of religious roots again you know the whole you know jesus thing but uh, you know you see that in a lot of movies okay and a lot of stories but it's it's damn it it's effective yeah, so right often. It, it just it's i'm a sucker for it and i think it it is a powerful storytelling because it strikes that mythic chord in us i think mm-hmm. you know it strikes the the stories that we have known not just in our lifetimes but for centuries and the greeks had stories like that ancient chinese and, you know <laughs> everyone you know had stories like that and you see that again, you know, with Binks and his little sister. And I don't know, it's 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 a it's a neat ending where they kind of walk 
off into the glow of the sun, mm-hmm. of the glow of the morning, and that sort of archway of, mm-hmm. of trees, which is actually looks a lot like the archway of trees that was that I mentioned early yeah, yeah. in the episode about you know that was on campus at my college. Yeah. Those last moments where it holds on Danny's face and that music swells so loud. Oh, I think it's a perfect ending. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, I was glad. I wasn't sure if I was how much I, I was thought for enjoy, sure you were honest. like not gonna be into this at all. <laughs> you know, I got home from school yesterday and I turned it on Disney Plus and it's like, okay, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna watch it. And I just found myself being, you know, this is exactly what I need. This is exactly, so much. Right? It's a it's just a sweet, fun movie that you know. I threw it on after what was frankly a rough day, and it was just like, I this is great. I'm I'm really enjoying this. I didn't write a single note down because <laughs> I was just watching and enjoying the movie. And that's what I think this movie's power still is: is that it's just it's a joy to watch. And if it's nostalgia, who cares? If it makes you happy while you're watching it. Which it still makes yeah. me happy. I watched it last night. I know every minute of this movie. I've watched it so much. It still brought me a lot of joy. And that's so good. That's a wonderful thing. And I don't I don't want to let that go and I don't want to look at it critically now, <laughs> even though you know, that seems kind of Don't let anyone ever tell you you can't have nostalgia about anything. <laughs> Use it. Hold on to it. Exactly. Do what you want with it. That's perfect. (laughs) All right. Shall we move on to recommendations? Let's do it. Uh, Since yours is related to this movie, uh, how about you go first? Yeah, so my recommendation, like I mentioned before, there was a book written about Hocus Pocus in 2016 uh, by Aaron Wallace. He is a big Disney enthusiast, is is his thing. And so he wrote a book called Hocus Pocus in Focus, (laughs) which I love. Excellent title. Uh, yeah. The Thinking Fan's Guide to Disney's Halloween Classic. And uh, when I first heard about this book, I was like, oh, that's amazing. Like, I love Hocus Pocus. Like, but is there enough for like a whole book to be written on mm-hmm. Hocus Pocus? And there is, apparently. This is a really fascinating look at it. I think like, there probably is about most movies. You know, if you're really diving <laughs> into the making, the right. stories that go into making any movie, it's just incredible, isn't it? This book is great just for all the random little facts that he has at the end. But he really goes into a lot of the the themes of the movie that um, I had never even thought about before. Like I said, the um, the whole thing of it's, it's basically movie. like a Christmas plot movie. But he also goes into, you know, the, the relationships of, of siblings, the whole virginity thing, which we kind of glanced over like that this movie is like strangely obsessed with virginity it is it is (laughs) (laughs) it's very true whatever i mean it's that's a plot thing that's used a lot in supernatural stories of like sacrificing virgins and stuff that that comes up a lot so that's just that's been a a theme for kind of a great joke in the monster squad yeah it's been a theme like forever it doesn't i don't think people i think people read into that too much than than really is needed um he talks about uh, you know feminism and just what the sisters represent to people it's it's really interesting i wish i could find it i think i took all my books over to my parents house otherwise i would have been able to like skim through it again and remember but i just remember being like really enjoying it and like really uh getting a lot more out of it than i thought like he was able to get a lot out of the movie than i thought he would and it's uh it was really fascinating and it also has a uh a foreword that was written by thora birch and the afterword was written by mick garris so 
Oh, that's great. Very much recommend uh, checking that out. It's called Hocus Pocus in Focus. Great. Uh, so I've kind of already recommended reading Ray Bradbury, and what I'm going to recommend is a specific book. Um, of course, Something Wicked This Way Comes is great, uh, but it is a little bit of a challenging read to some extent because of the prose that's used. So if you haven't read a lot of Bradbury, I'd highly recommend. It's actually, it's kind of a kid's book, you know, sort of a middle grade book, but it's really excellent. It's The Halloween Tree. I mean, it's got all the great Bradbury writing in it. I mean, there's none of that missing, even though it's written for a younger audience, I suppose. But it's just, it's an easy read. It's it's kind of amazingly informative, too, about just the history of Halloween. But it's a lot of fun. And the cartoon that was made from it is excellent, too. But I, uh, I can't believe I never saw or read that. That would have been like so yeah. my thing when I was a kid. I can't believe I missed out on both of those. Yeah, you know, I didn't read it as a kid. I read it just within the past few years. And I read it last year around Halloween time to my son. And both of us were just kind of enthralled by it. It was really good. And uh, the cartoon that was made from it is really great, too. It's actually a little less. Some of the edges are worn off at a tiny bit. For the cartoon, but uh, there's some there's some really kind of dark and scary, crazy imagery in it, uh, in spite of it being this book written for a younger audience. But uh, so it's a great gateway into Bradbury's work and it's horror and it's Halloween and he was obsessed with Halloween. He loved it. Absolutely adored it. it. And so it's got a lot of the sort of childhood element that something wicked has as well. And it's. Just a great, fun, quick read uh, that's perfect for the Halloween season. We got two so books. So the 10 or 11 days that you've got <laughs> until Halloween, you definitely couldn't go wrong with uh, reading that one. Okay, so what do we have coming up next time, Brian? This is yours, oh, so you take it. Have? Okay, so we have arrived at each of our number one choices for our forever favorites. So we're starting with mine, and it's the movie that starts our intro. I am a golden god. Yes, we're <laughs> talking about Almost Famous. Technically, though, we're going to talk about Untitled, which is the Almost Famous <laughs> director's The director's cut. cut, of course, yes. Yeah, so it's my preferred version. Um, I think it just immerses you in the world. And there, I think there's a little bit more sadness and darkness in it, too. And it balances out some of the <laughs> some of the sort of ecstasy of certain parts of the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I'm excited to watch it again. I just got 4K Steelbook, so it'll be my first time watching it in that high of quality since I originally saw it in the theater. I know um, you said you wanted to hold off on what you got it a while ago, and you wanted to hold off I on watching it. I got it a while it. ago, and I, I was... I <laughs> so was we could like, do this episode. I, yeah, I'm... I was going to watch the theatrical cut, <laughs> and then I just haven't had time, because uh, I haven't seen the theatrical cut in some time, but I'd love to take a look at that again, and then because both cuts are on, that, on, are on that 4K. And hey, as a special giveaway, I do have a digital copy of Almost Famous that uh, you might want to watch the Twitter app for. Yeah. So, because I, I, I'd, I'd like to give away that digital copy to someone who's a fan of the movie and the show awesome and yeah so we're usually we've done our forever favorites together we're gonna do a similar thing that we did last time where since this is our 
number ones. We want to spend as much time on each one of them as possible. So we're going to do Almost Famous first. And then probably the next week is when we're going to do mine, uh, Dirty Dancing. So yes. just look out for what the uh the calendar is going to look like for this yeah we'll we'll we're kind of figuring it out um, a little bit so um yeah this is gonna be a lot of fun i'm except i haven't seen dirty dancing (laughs) forever it seems like so i'm interested to look to watch it again after having not seen it uh, at really oh man i saw it in the theater on its 10th anniversary 1997 (laughs) oh my gosh I think that might have been the last time I saw it. Oh, wow. Um, but I'm really looking forward to seeing it again. And, you know, it's probably, frankly, understanding it more than I ever have because <laughs> I just didn't um, at the time. But anyway. This has happened so much on the show. It's like uh, we're stuff that I grew up with. It, it just kind of shows the difference between, like, what people's childhood experiences are so different. Like, oh, all, I totally all the grew movies, up with this movie. All the movies that I grew up like watching over and over again, like you're just now seeing for the first time. And it's just, it's kind of blowing my mind a little bit, but I love well, it. Dirty Dancing, I definitely grew up with. We watched, I watched it a lot as when I was a kid, but I just haven't watched it uh, since I was in college, as I recall. Okay. So um, and I'm very excited to watch Almost Famous again, because I love watching Almost Famous. And it's been a little bit. Yeah. I think yeah, I bought the Blu-ray I mean, like a, a couple of years ago. I don't think I've watched it since then. So Yeah, I, I wrote an article on it for F This Movie a while back. So if you want to go on F This Movie and read my take on it ahead of time, uh, you're welcome to do so. But this movie, I got to admit, is just kind of an emotional experience for me. I, it makes me feel very deeply in a way that not a lot of movies make me feel. So I can't wait mm-hmm. to talk about them. Both of them. All right. <laughs> yeah, me too. Me too. Okay, so should we do the quick sign-offs here? Wrapping up. Where can we be found? Uh, You can find me on Twitter at Michelle in Agen. You can occasionally find (laughs) me on Twitter. I, I school's been starting, so I haven't been on Twitter. We've both kind of stepped back a little bit, yeah. Yeah, we have. I mean, we're not mad. We're just um, (laughs) we're just taking a breath, I think. But you can find me at Brian D. Kuiper. Now, the show itself, it can be found at Movie Life Pod. Uh, I try to be a little bit more active there than, <laughs> than I am on my personal accounts. Um, but you can, I really hope you can follow the show there and you can help you keep on top of when we release new episodes and have some giveaways and various things of that we nature start are going to be there. Yeah, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put out that one for Promising Young Woman here. So. Cool. Yep. Uh, if you're listening to the show and you love us, because I know y'all love us, please give us a rate or review on Apple Podcast. That would be super nice of you. It's very helpful. It is. All right. Okay. Thank you, everyone. And what are we going to do, Michelle? We will see you all next time. Bye. Bye.